0: Aquarian Company. I'm going to be keeping you company for the next few hours. You are not going to believe the company. This company. You're going to bankrupt your mama's company. At least I have the radio to keep me company. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan.
1: Kind of hard to believe it's already a Thursday this week. Week's gone by quick. Another gorgeous day. Colts and Texans on Sunday, a pillow fight that will be seen in Indianapolis and Houston. Right? Legacy game
2: first legacy game for anthony richardson stroud versus richardson let's go
1: part one <laughs> you can't even say it without giggling no, right i can't no <laughs> we're going to actually talk to the voice of both teams mike Vanderbeer, voice of the texans at 1 today matt taylor at two o'clock little college football to talk about and we got all kinds of stuff going on instagram posts from athletes to get into possible renovations for stadiums to get into at the request of the players coaches talking trash to one another on the collegiate standpoint eddie garrison still on vacation he's in colorado right yes so eddie was named the company ceo and then after being named ceo decided that after four days of work he needed a vacation right high stress in the company sometimes (laughs) sometimes it's too much for one and again person to bear again there was no hr department for him to run this past so he just he's did on his it. way
2: i respect it he to be fair it.
1: to be fair um and good afternoon to you by the way out of thursday folks it is querying company here on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan my name is jake Quarry. that's the voice of jimmy cook nathaniel finch is filling in for eddie today and i said nathaniel please 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 bear with me uh, if we have met before, it was when I was doing the morning show, and I don't remember. I would go home and go to bed and then forget everything. So I think we have met before, right? And he said, yeah, you made the joke about Atticus Finch like seven times. I'm like, that's right, yes. I d- now I do recall. That's correct.
2: You don't even remember who you worked with on the morning show, honestly. I mean, it's all, it's all a blur at this point. That's right. Well,
1: my, my cousin's last name is Bowen, so it's easy to remember in that regard. Um, but at any rate, uh, this is Quarry and & Company, and... We've talked about, you know, over the course of the last couple of days, uh, I am thrilled with people who continue to tell me that they are part of the company, that they are in. Has anybody said to you, Jimmy, that they're in the company? It's not honest? happened yet, no. Oh, come on. I know. It's now my goal is for people to come up to you and say, you know what, I'm in the company. Or maybe actually your friends don't like me, and so they're like, nah, I'm, I'm on strike.
2: No, I don't. I don't think that's it, no. I just think I've not been, but I also don't want it to be one of my friends. I want it to be just a, that's right. A stranger. But here's the
1: thing, Jimmy, the point being, not a stranger, a coworker. That's exactly right. Because on this program, they're all, we're all friends. Right. And I want, yesterday I put out the all point bullet and I think maybe he wasn't listening again. Brian from Mooresville. I want to hear from Brian from Mooresville. I felt like I handled that incorrectly. I'd like a mea culpa and I'd like for Brian from Mooresville to call in today. Um,
2: You've done all you can at this point. Anything fun for there. you last
1: night on Hump Night Wednesday?
2: When saw Dave Chappelle at Gambridge Fieldhouse?
1: A scouting report is?
2: Uh, it was first time I saw him. Gambridge is beautiful with all the renovations. It was a fun night. Went I mean, to a brewery for dinner.
1: You know, were you laughing the entire time? Like Dave Chappelle, to me, and I think he's a brilliant guy, and I think that when he was doing sketch comedy, he was really funny. The last, and I, I don't know that this is the case in all of them, the last few stand-up things that I have seen him do, it was less stand-up and more him just giving commentary, yeah. which was which was insightful and intelligent, but I wouldn't list it as overly funny. Now, was it a stand-up bit of him telling jokes and making fun of things and laughing, or was it more him giving commentary on something?
2: I would say 70 stand-up, 30 commentary, and I don't go to a ton of like stand-up comics. I don't go to a ton of concerts in general, but- Chappelle does make me laugh, and I wanted to go see him while I was here. Uh, there were times where, yeah, I was, I was bawling with laughter. It was a very, very funny set, so okay. I enjoyed it. Yeah, but, but I I can't say like, oh, I've seen Kevin Hart, or I've seen, you know, like uh, uh, Jim Gaffigan, or I've seen like a ton of comics of this current era where I could say cream of the crop, like nobody could touch Chappelle because I don't go to every
1: set, but that was fun. It was a fun night. Stand-up shows to me are tough because more often than not, I'm just... I. I I hate to say this, like I can, I kind of know where it's going. Like I hear the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a lot of times I'm like, yeah, I know what the punchline's is going to be here. I don't know. Like it's hard to say that. that I will say you arrogant, don't, you don't,
2: you don't, I don't get that anyway with him. And like a lot of good comments I feel like are, are very good at hiding the punchline until right. it's time to deliver it. And then laughter. Right. We don't have a laugh track set up. I haven't had Eddie set that up before he left. So
1: we'll get there. <laughs> Fair enough. We're going to have a, a director
2: um, of laughter for the company and we can get a laugh track.
1: I was talking to a friend of mine who went to that last night. And before we get into sports, let me ask you this question because he and I got into a furious debate on the way in here. Furious debate, screaming match on the phone. oh He was listening to, my buddy was listening to, I don't know what it was, a TV show, podcast, I don't know, what whatever, might have been one of these, might have been this radio station, I don't know. And he was surprised to hear a certain item in American culture that was referenced and one of the people that was talking was unfamiliar with the product. It's a product. And he was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And so my buddy said to me, he goes, what percent of people do you think are out there that have actually never heard of this product? And I said, I think the vast majority of people under the age of 35 have probably never heard of this product because it was everywhere for about a two or three-year period 25 years ago, and then it kind of went away, and you just don't hear about it as much. So... I'll ask both you guys. You're probably going to prove me wrong here, um, because you guys are sports fans. But among, like amongst on. your peers, your friends, everything else, how many people do you think are familiar with or or have heard of or would immediately recognize by vision, etc., the Foreman Grill? I would, yes. You would,
2: and I, I, my wife would, and she's two years younger than me. So there's two. Okay, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. You
1: know what it is? Yeah. Okay, because I I was I had one in college. Like yeah, I mean I. See, I, I felt like it would maybe my years are off. I felt like like 98 to like 2000 or so, it was a really big thing. And then
2: I feel like if you go births from like oh four and onward, maybe what that'd be 19 years old right now. I well, feel like I, you'd have a better chance the purpose of hitting of but
1: it from a health standpoint. It seems to me has been kind of outdated because I agree with that we, stuff is prepared. You know the, the whole yeah. the whole key feature of it was like it it shreds off the fat and whatever else and I think now like people now young professionals now are like they've they've only known that their whole life they've I, never had to do that step has been done for them
2: I think the way that it's co opted now from like from a college mindset like when I was in college why I would want one or why I would use it was I couldn't have a quick grill and easy, well, right? yeah and I, and I couldn't have a grill out on my pad like my landlord wouldn't let me have one outside. So you have to instead just use the George Foreman grill, which is a much easier process to go do, and you can make burgers right inside the house, right? Do okay. like, they still thought. sell them? That I don't know. I would think so, or versions of it, I would think. I don't know if you could come out a genuine George Foreman grill still at, like,
1: Target. I never had one, but I just was curious. Uh, also on my way in, so I was wrong on that one. I was right on this one, though. I stop at the gas station. I'm walking. I get out of my car, and immediately, and there's a, a someone sitting at the pump. And the guy goes, hey, man, can, can you help my, my wife? We just ran out of gas, and we just need a couple bucks to get home. I go, oh. And I look, and there's a woman sitting in the car at the pump. It's very convenient. That's where they ran out of gas, by the way. Um, and I said, no problem. Happy to help. I go, as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll put, what, 5 10 bucks in your tank with my card? Oh, that'd be great. I go, cool. Let me just walk around and, and uh, see your gas gauge. What? Well, let me walk around. I'm going to have to go right where the pump is anyway to, to put my card in to buy you the gas. So while I'm standing on the driver's side, let me just look in the window and just turn the key to the on position and let me see where the gas gauge goes. And if it's on empty, I will gladly give you five bucks worth of gas. If it's on anything other than empty, then sorry, I, I'm you, know, you, you ain't dealing with a fool here. Immediately the car starts up and they drove off. <laughs> My like, okay, good okay. okay. well So, played. so I'm at least one and one on the day, right? But Where'd that's that's the oldest one in the book. I mean, I feel bad for people whose car actually does run out of gas and they don't have any, and they don't have their wallet on them, and they just need a couple bucks because the scammers are ruining it for everybody, right? Yes, It's the oldest trick in the book. Um, Start to lose trust in the entire system. Colts and Texans coming up in Houston. That game is going to be, of course, this weekend and legacy game. Um, a legacy game. Yep. The. Interesting thing in the NFL, Jimmy, is, and this, I think, is largely, obviously, motivated by the Aaron Rodgers injury, but did you see what the NFL Players Association is apparently going to lobby to the NFL? Grass turfs, baby. Grass fields, sorry. Grass fields.
2: Is that what you're talking about?
1: Correct. Now, I, I do believe, and, and do you remember when... Manchester United, and was it? Well, you would know because you're a soccer guy. Was it AC Milan and Manchester United that played a friendly here? I think so. I was at the
2: match. There oh, you go. Was it? Uh, I think it was Dortmund. What's that? Dortmund. Is it Dortmund and Man United? I think so. Yeah. Here, okay. here at Lucas Oil. Oh, okay. Well, th- this was in Vegas a couple weeks
1: ago. Yeah, no, no. I'm talking about it. Lucas Oil at Lucas Stadium. Lucas Oil. Lucas Oil Stadium hosted. Yeah I, I, yeah, I think it was AC Milan and Manchester. And that was yeah. what, like 20? I'm going to guess 2017, 2018, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. During that match, I believe—I could be wrong. Somebody, somebody called in and let me know here that, that was there and would know. But I believe for that match that they brought in natural grass. That they had like a—it's hard to explain. I'm, I'm trying to think of what stadium I've been in where they do this. But they actually have, for lack of a better phrase, and I'm going to put it in a really bad analogy phrase— but it's almost like an air filter that you that you like slide underneath. You know what I mean. You take the old one out and you slide the new one sure. in. There is a system on some of these fields, and I'm trying to think of which one I've been to where they do this. Arizona has it. Is that what it is? Yeah. So it's a, it's, it, it slides in, right? Yep. It doesn't stay inside the stadium, Correct. it slides in. Correct. So that's what Lucas Oil Stadium would, would have to do here, right?
2: Well, and, and to go one further on this, and maybe this is where you're building towards, but another reason the NFLPA is upset, and there was an article on this on The Athletic uh, just a couple days ago, we got the World Cup coming into town here in three years, and speculation here, but eight of the 16 selected venues are likely preparing to convert their artificial turf fields to natural grass for the tournament. Stadiums could opt for artificial services that those services must read, must meet stringent criteria set by FIFA. So basically, when the cup comes to town, even if you're an NFL venue, you're willing to sacrifice and adjust for the World Cup, but you're not willing to do it for your own franchises, which is part of why the PA is upset further now. I
1: can see that. Because soccer players don't don't play on artificial turf. Field turf is what it's called, right? Yeah. here is my thought on this if lucas oil if the nfl mandates and i'm gonna i'm gonna voice something here that is going to literally i'll bet nine out of ten people listening to me here are going to roll their eyes and be like whatever dude and they're going to be like you're trying to you know like be a play a straw man here or create a controversy that doesn't exist But I guarantee you then, as this process goes further along, what I'm about to bring up becomes a talking point and a serious point of contention and discussion in many markets of the National Football League. Okay? I think everybody knows, and I don't need to go into it full throttle because it's admittedly probably at this point, you know, it's not just a dead horse, it's now glue. I mean, I get it. I think most people that have listened to me on the radio before know of my appreciation and enthusiasm for what the Colts mean to this community and what it means in terms of the camaraderie and the, the civic pride and the things that they do around town. I get all that and I'm all for it. I think most people also know of my opposition to the ridiculous and absurd amount of public subsidy that goes into the Indianapolis Colts, and as a result, the amount of money that the Colts still get from a public standpoint that has basically decreased the profit margin that the Capital Improvement Board in the city of Indianapolis should be getting off of building what was then the most publicly subsidized building in the United States. So, clearly, while I don't mind giving tax dollars to help or bump projects civically that we all enjoy... I don't think that it's our responsibility, especially in billion-dollar ventures, to take on the majority of the price tag. That topic is not only probably boorish, but boring. So I don't want to sit here and spend an hour on that, except for to say this. If the NFL and the NFL Players Association come up with some sort of an agreement that stadiums are going to have to do exactly what Nathaniel was talking about in Arizona with the, the 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 tray slide of natural grass and move out the field turf and whatever else. I assume that comes at a cost. This grass has to be watered and flowered and fertilized and or not flowered, but you know what I mean, whatever. I mean, it has to be grown, you're it has pay, to be taken care of. You're paying a chief grounds crew to do this. And in addition to that, you are probably having to make some sort of renovation to your stadium in terms of the facility itself for this to be a permanent every weekend thing. Fine. If the NFL and the NFL Players Association agree that that's what needs to be done, I have no problem with it except for this that ticket needs to be spent by the Indianapolis Colts, not the city of Indianapolis, not the Capital Improvement Board as part of Lucas Oil Stadium. That renovation, that change, that improvement, whatever you want to call it, that wrinkle, that modification, that home repair, whatever you want to call it, needs to be, that that price tag needs to be absorbed by the National Football League. They're the ones, their players are the ones that are requesting this. They're the ones that may well be the ones to agree to it. And if that is the case, then all of these stadiums around the country that have massive amounts of tax dollars, none of which has more at the time of its building than Indianapolis. The city of Indianapolis paid more for Lucas Oil Stadium than the city of Phoenix, the city of Dallas, and the city of New York paid for their stadiums combined. Combined. More tax dollars in that building. I don't want to see a single tax dollar go towards... And I realize most people are like, I don't care. I just want to see the team play. Okay. That's cool until you walk around downtown Indianapolis and realize that like it's a shell of what it once was, largely, in my opinion, and due to the fact that there is not the surplus of income... From coming from all of the conventions and everything else that we were supposed to get because of the fact that the profit margin is reduced because of the money going back towards the Indianapolis Colts for Lucas Oil Stadium.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. This should either be an owner expense or Correct. it should be something that the National Football League is subsidizing for their 32 teams. And I don't know. I'm getting into a realm of I'm I'm not involved with business. I don't know how partnerships or sponsorships work, but I would think if the league was going to institute a league-wide remodel for all these different stadiums and different venues that there would be a partnership with perhaps like for instance, Kansas city has, and I don't know what grass works in what stadiums I get it, Kansas city's open air and Lucas oil is a retractable roof, but Kansas city has uh, Bermuda grass and like, but they can get all the sunlight, everything. There's no issue with getting the proper type of growth conditions there because it's an outdoor venue. But if there was a company that was like the largest distributor of Bermuda grass, Maybe they partner with the NFL and there's a, right. a, a cost-saving mechanism to that. I don't know. But either way, to your point, that should not be something that taxpayers, that citizens of these different locales should have to fix. It should be done by either the owners individually or it should be done by a partnership with the NFL and the
1: NFLPA. Uh, Las Vegas slides in grass and that makes sense because in Las Vegas... Now, the other problem, <laughs> you know, in Las Vegas, you're not exactly going to be growing grass in a stadium, right? They have no water, right? Um Here's the other problem for Lucas Oil: Why you can't permanently do it. Lucas Oil Stadium, for all of its brilliance when it was built, has no drainage system. That's why when there's like, when they're t- trying to determine whether or not to use the the additional hundred and thirteen million dollars that they spent on the retractable roof, and they're like, and people are like, why is the roof closed? It looks like this outside. It's gorgeous. And it's like, <laughs> well, there's a eight percent chance of rain in the third hour of the game. And they can't run that risk because they have no drainage system inside the building. If it rains and the water collects, there's nowhere for it to go. They got to bring out like huge wet vacs. That feels like an oversight. You think?
2: Like, you know, multi billion dollar I, facility. I, you I feel think like- the
1: bigger oversight might have been to have a 17 story escalator deposit <laughs> into the area where there's a bar and people are standing and not moving. And all of a sudden, like you get a meniscus of humanity that overflows, and suddenly somebody falls to their death. That's probably a bigger oversight, but yeah, yeah. to the to an extent, multiple oversights. I, I promise I'm done. Uh, did you hear about the Colorado and Colorado State coaching feud? I did not know. Head coach at Colorado, you want to talk about po- or Colorado State? Talk about poking the bear here, right? Colorado State is taking on Colorado this weekend. Now, if you, Eddie Garrison is in our our company CEO is in Colorado right now, okay.
2: He's not being a correspondent for us, is he? I thought there was just simple vacation for him.
1: He's. I told him that he has to climb the Manitou incline. And if that's the case, if he did that yesterday, he is totally out of commission today. I can promise you. Because it's a beast. I'm proud of the fact I did it. Did you send him a reminder text? I, I actually did. I was okay, like, then. here's the link. Because you have to buy You have to reserve to go up it. The Manitou incline, for those that are unfamiliar, I think I'm saying that correctly, is... Just outside of Colorado Springs, it was a railroad car incline. Like you see, like Lookout Mountain has the incline car that goes up the side of the mountain. So the Manitou incline was at one time, I'm assuming it was like some sort of a mining or cargo incline cable car that went up the side of the mountain. It's no longer active, so they replaced the railroad line with wooden planks that are basically steps. And you do, I think it's a 2,000 foot elevation at 68 degrees. Straight upward, ba- not straight upward, obviously, because it's 68 degrees, but uh, it is, and keep in mind the oxygen, right? You haven't acclimated yet. It is it is like the workout of all workouts. I'm telling you. like
2: I don't like that you didn't ask Eddie in the lead up to that, hey, you should do this thing. You didn't ask him, hey, do you work out a lot? Do you enjoy oh, strenuous
1: activities? The, the that... visual evidence is fairly telling in that regard.
2: Well, right, but if he didn't look at the visual evidence and he just books it and then
1: he no, goes no, no. there, I mean, the visual evidence of Eddie. I didn't have to ask the question if he works out a lot, <laughs> right?
2: I mean, I don't work out at all. I don't know if you would have had to ask me that question or not, but like I, I would have been very frustrated if you uh, would have said, "Hey, go do the." Even though by the phrasing of it, what do you say it was? I, I, the what incline? I do
1: work out and don't look like it. So the what it's... incline? Manitou. Okay.
2: Had I heard the word incline, I would have been like, Jake, this prize isn't for me. <laughs> Thank
1: you though, but I'm I'm good. Eddie was like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, do it. So uh Eddie is busy doing the incline, so he didn't have time to report back to us on this situation in Colorado. Jay Norvell, I'm I'm assuming I'm saying that correctly. Jay Norvell, head coach Colorado State. Colorado State taking on Colorado this weekend. And I know a lot of people are like, ooh, that and that's a big in state rivalry. Nah, it's more like probably Indiana and Ball State. It's not say it's not a rivalry, but probably a lot of the kids that go to Colorado State are fans of Colorado. Been right?
2: nine, been 9 years since the Colorado State
1: victory. Yeah, I mean it's five straight wins for Colorado. Colorado Colorado's chief rival is probably Nebraska. <laughs> to be honest with you, because that was a big rivalry back when they were in the same conference together. Of course, now Nebraska's in the Big 10, you know, they but that was why it was a big deal they played last week. I mean, that's probably Colorado's biggest rival.
2: They haven't played Um, each other since 2019, but Colorado has won the last four games by a combined 104 points. Okay.
1: So that's what people now believe is going to be the difference this weekend. Because when he was asked about Deion Sanders, Jay Norvell said, and I quote, well, when I talk to grownups, I take my hat and glasses off. (laughs) It's how my mom taught me. The the second part there, I'm paraphrasing. Basically, he said, like, it's how my mother taught me. Now, maybe he's, like, best friends with Deion Sanders. Maybe he's totally joking around with them and they have a, a fun Really, I have no idea. But needless to say, everybody else is like, holy cow. Like, why would you fire that warning shot, right? If you are talking to another adult or talking about another
2: adult and you use the phrase grownups, there's not a mutual respect there.
1: H- here is the full quote. I sat down with ESPN today. I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them. I took my hat off and I took my glasses off. I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother taught me. Colorado's not going to like us no matter what we say or do. You know, is it gamesmanship or is it dumb? Dumb. Dick it is? (sighs) What if they come out and shock the world? What if Colorado know, the, State? The, the last, I've got a Colorado State shirt. The last, oh, I forgot to wear my uh, TV New Zealand shirt. Sorry. That's tomorrow. It's
2: all right. Last time that I questioned a coach for being dumb was Fairleigh Dickinson, and look what happened. So maybe I am being too the other way. I forgot but about that. that, that was he, March Madness and in the Instead tournament. He poked
1: Purdue, didn't he? he did aggressively.
2: I, w- I want Purdue to hear this. I hope that you don't know, care about the cameras, right? Like it was very much what are you doing? Like you're a 16 seed, slow your roll a bit, and then. They didn't need to sell their role because they shocked the world. This is a regular season game, different stakes. Uh, I don't know. I still don't. I've always been an anti-bulletin board material type of guy. And I get it. It's not Alabama. It's still a budding organization or rebirth of the Colorado fan base through Deion Sanders. But I don't
1: need to add more to them. Here's the other thing, though, Jimmy, that I thought of yesterday. And I threw this out on Twitter. I was listening last night to this this radio station, and it was a national show, and they were talking about the schools where Deion Sanders may go from Colorado. Like, this is the springboard for Deion yep. Sanders into, you know, what school? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's already started. Here's the thing. you want to know my crazy answer here? Sure. I got to thinking more and more about I figured out these school, and I know People around here probably are like, why are we talking about Colorado and Deion Sanders? We're going to talk plenty about the Colts and the Texans coming up. But I got to thinking about this last night. And I I heard people saying, like, you know, Nick Saban at Alabama, how much longer is he going to be there? And Florida State, which is where Deion Sanders went to school. And, you know, Clemson with Dabo Sweeney and other you know schools that you know northwestern's looking for a coach like where from colorado now that he has tasted and shown success
2: you had me on three of the four division
1: one what's that you had me on three of the four now that he has shown that he can have success and i know it's only two games but you know just the buzz that goes around him the 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 pre-game speech that you saw the players buying in the the sexiness and the marketing and the campaign and the attention and the spotlight and the love that it gives you from a national standpoint for your athletic department and everything that comes with having Coach Prime Neon Dion Dion Sanders the Hall of Fame player guy that can walk into any house in America and get any player to come play for him because they might not know who what he did on the football field but they certainly their dad does and their dad's thrilled and their mom's thrilled that Deion Sanders is there and he's got the glasses on and he's cool and he gives a great speech and everybody's wondering where is it that he's going to go and I figured it out last night and I have the answer as to the next step for Deion Sanders and I'll tell you what that is and then we will start previewing Colts and Texans next Jimmy um you got any combos on you no combos on me. If you were going to go buy some combos, which kind would you get? Pepperoni. Cracker or pretzel? Pretzel. Nathaniel, you got any beef jerky? Do not. You like beef jerky? Oh, yeah. Okay. Who doesn't?
2: Um, I've only known what combos were for about a decade because they were in the C store at IU. And I was like, oh, this looks tasty. And I tried it. And I was like, wow, this is really good. Nice little, nice little snack. Did you grow up in Siberia? I think so, yeah. Um, a lot of potato chips in the cookhouse. Not a ton okay, of combos. Okay, that's cool.
1: Chili cheese, you got any chili cheese Fritos over there? Oh, yeah. More. Love me some chili cheese Fritos, Pr- right? Prefer the, uh, the, the barbecue twist, but yes. Those are good, too? Yeah. All of those are great road trip foods, right? Yep. If you're going on a road trip, you grab those, you grab a Diet Mountain Dew, and we are going to do the first of the Quarrying Company road trips today, coming up at 1.30. Every Thursday, we'll take a road trip, meaning that we will be talking to somebody from somewhere else about what's going on in their market and how it applies to sports in Indianapolis. Today, it'll be Mike Vanderbeer who is the radio voice of the Houston Texans, Colts and Texans, coming up on Sunday. So just an hour from now, we will fire up the car and go on our road trip. Is Here's a guy that you know, was a was dy- I don't have to give his resume. People know. But he goes to Colorado, and I think that when Colorado hired him, there was a little bit from some people of like, okay, how's this going to work? And then it wasn't even necessarily the fact that the wins they've had and the start they've gotten off to, especially winning at TCU, that put them on the map as much as the video that came out of his pregame speech and how guys were just totally bought in. And in addition to that, there are certain schools that need a coach that gives them an it factor. Indiana needs a coach that gives them an it factor. Terry Hepner, I think a lot of people thought was going to be that guy because he was just—he was a great guy and he was enthusiastic and he was a salesperson and he'd coached Ben Roethlisberger and he'd had success. And then, you know, unfortunately, tragically, we know what happened when he got ill. But I think people felt like Terry Hepner for Indiana was an it factor guy. Joe Tiller, to an extent, was that way at Purdue. Like he came in basketball on grass everybody's like holy cow takes the big 10 by storm drew Brees is throwing the football all over the place and purdue boom notre dame right now marcus freeman might be an it factor guy looks like a cool guy you look at him and you're like man that dude just just drips like smooth right in great shape handsome guy like energetic when he speaks seems to know football and they're playing well under him right might have an it factor Colorado is a school that I have talked about before was an it school when I was in high school. There were like three schools outside the state of Indiana that every kid, like it was cool to say that you might go there. Arizona was one, Arizona State was the other, and Colorado. That was just like, everybody wanted to go to Colorado because... You know, they had played in the national title game in 1990. They had a, an era there from like for about a five-year window where their football program was an IT program. They were ranked in the top five. They were on national television. They played in a super cool stadium with mountains in the background, and it was at the beginning of Mork and Mindy when we were all kids, and so there was just a lot to love about Boulder, Colorado, and about the University of Colorado, or CU, Colorado University, whichever way it goes. And it was an IT school. And then they fell completely off the map and it became one of the worst programs in college football. So Colorado needed a jolt and they went out and they got Deion Sanders. Why do they do it? Because it gives them, and Boulder is one of the rising cool places to live in the United States. The University of Colorado has always been a cool school to go to. There's a million things that people love about Boulder. It's one of the most expensive real estate areas in the United States of America. But their football program lagging behind until now. So, what program is the next to give a big contract to and enjoy the benefits of Deion sanders and i last night figured it out jimmy i solved the puzzle i solved the riddle you want to guess anyway
2: surely surely we've not gone down the path that it's going to be indiana right that's not where we're going with this that is correct it is not the path that i'm going okay to. all right then then the answer is colorado gonna stay put why would deon sanders go anywhere else I've always thought it's probably two years, so I don't disagree with you, but you're saying permanently, like, I mean, he if he's going to stay up? in
1: college football, I mean obviously eventually he will leave, but I'm saying Yeah, all coaches people think do. it's a springboard job, and I'm like, why? Why is it a springboard job? It's not. That's a destination job. And he is the one that's going to make it a destination job. They gave him up front five and a half million a year. Now we all know. We all know. When you hire a college football coach, look at Indiana. I've always said Indiana is the one program from a football standpoint that the first second that a girl gives him a kiss, they dropped down to their knee and ask him to marry him. Right? First It's like the it's like Cameron and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. When Ferris Bueller says I got to tell you the first girl with him, I mean he's going to go ahead and marry her. Well, that's exactly what Indiana does, right? They get one year where there's a, a season where no one's going to the games cuz of COVID and they go 9 and 3 or whatever and they're like, "Oh my gosh. We've got all the limestone in the state of Indiana. We'll give it to you. Please don't go anywhere." That's what Indiana does, right? But because we all know that the first contract a coach gets at a college program is in no way, shape, or form the contract that binds him. They restructure and redo it. He's already starting. His starting point is five and a half million. Nadabo Sweeney, Nick Saban, they're making like nine, right? Maybe ten. Okay. So Colorado comes along to Deion Sanders, who, mind you, probably is worth two hundred million dollars. They come along to Deion Sanders and they go, look, we we paid you five and a half, we'll make it nine. Okay. Now he's getting paid like anywhere else. Now, yeah, but Jake, what about recruiting? You can't recruit to Colorado. There's no players out there. That was true 25 years ago. We live in a world today where if you're a diehard fan of the Alaska Anchorage Seahawks or Sea Wolves or whatever they're called, basketball program, you can watch every game on TV if you want. You can watch any program, anytime, on any network, all the time. For any sport. And in today's world, you have kids right now that are entering college that have known nothing over their entire lifetime, but FaceTime, the iPhone, Zoom, the world to them is not like... You talk to kids now that are seniors in high school, and they're like, yeah, my, my son this weekend is going to Providence, Rhode Island. Why is he going to Providence, Rhode Island? He's going to meet one of his best friends. Going to meet one of his best... Yeah, they, they, they do a gaming thing together. They've been friends since they were in the eighth grade, but they've never met face to face. That's just the way the world is for these kids. Like, it it doesn't... The the thought process of, like, I've got to stay close to home is, like, wake up, man. So, Deion Deion Sanders is going to be able to recruit to Colorado. Not to mention, there are lifestyle things about Boulder, Colorado that are advantageous as well, if you really want to get down to the brass tacks. But it's not going to be difficult for Deion Sanders to recruit to Colorado. Okay? Like, most... Dabo Sweeney goes in and recruits players. Players recruit Deion Sanders. Right? Yeah. I'm a top flight dual threat quarterback. I want to play for Deion Sanders. Like, can somebody get me in touch with my can my coach get a letter to Deion Sanders? So there's that. And then in addition to that, as the conferences now are starting to align into these super conference things, Colorado was smart and jumped into the Big 12 and are back to the Big 12 which is now about to merge as, you know, it's it's going to be one of the, it's got 16 teams in it and has a huge multi-billion dollar contract with ESPN and I, I can't remember if it's Fox or CBS. So they're good. Like they, they check all the boxes. And if he is on the trajectory that he is on, if Deion Sanders is in a position where he is coveted by major programs, it's because he has Colorado in the upper echelon. So why would you go somewhere to have to start all over again, getting that program to the upper echelon? Stay where you are. I mean,
2: part of it is coaches like new challenges, and that's I get a, that. that's a multi-year thing. So maybe he's just happy with what he built at Colorado, ready to move on. Money's a big factor in that. Dabo, money sounds pretty nice to me, particularly if it's at the upper echelon but of program. But he's going to get programs.
1: that there. He's already at five and a half. I
2: but, don't know. I don't know enough about like. I truly don't. So you can. I will well, defer I mean, to you here. Like, can Colorado match a nine or ten million dollar a year offer sure. that it, Okay, then if the money's not the issue, then he just wants to be on a bigger stage than he already is. And I get it, you can have a big stage at Colorado, but But Jimmy. What's sexy? What's sexy is LSU? Jimmy, what's sexy is Clemson? What's we're sexy? Doing, is
1: we're doing Florida. A, we're doing a sports radio talk show in Indianapolis, Indiana when on a day when we are 48 hours from kickoff for our NFL franchise, and we're going to talk to that. Come talk about that for probably the rest of the show. But we're on a sports radio show in Indianapolis, Indiana, talking about Deion Sanders in Colorado. So, like, what bigger platform does he need? He's Deion Sanders. Like Deion Sanders could could be coaching literally at Haskell Junior College in Lawrence, Kansas, and there are going to be people right. that pay attention. He doesn't
2: need the big program. He can do it wherever, and he can do it at Colorado and be just fine and probably make a ton of money doing it. What I'm more appealing to is, does he want to stay at Colorado, or would he rather be more – like, if Florida Florida State's the easiest one because it's his alum – he's an alum there, right? I get that. But if Florida called, or if LSU calls, or if Tennessee calls, and you get to go to the SEC, I'd be tempted to do that. Like, he, he doesn't have to. You're right. He can stay put in Colorado my and be point fine. Being,
1: my point being, by the time – If Deion Sanders a year from now is still in the same topic of conversation, it's going to be because Colorado has ascended itself in its style of play and its competitive nature where it is on par with Tennessee and South Carolina and Auburn, right? And so, why not just stay where you are? If kids are coming to where you are, I mean, not only, you're also living in like the most beautiful area of the country, right? I mean, that that has to come into play, but, and you're close to an NFL market and you're People are paying attention to you, et cetera. Now, in terms of Florida State, two things about Florida State. Florida State would be the one I totally get. But, but with Florida State, number one, and I read this. I didn't, I I read this yesterday, Jimmy, so it's not like this was household knowledge. Um, He did not graduate from Florida State. He went back and finished his degree at a historically black college. And my understanding is when he's been asked about it, he has corrected people. And they've said like, well, you're an alum of Florida State. And he's like, no, no, I didn't graduate from there. So I don't know if there's like an ill will there. Maybe. But Florida State's got a fine football coach. I mean, I think Florida State's heading in the right direction and they've got a really good young coach. And I'll give them credit because when they you know, when they were in need of a coach, I think Florida State went out and just said, and I don't know if he has connections to Florida at all, or Florida State, maybe he does. But when they went out and did a coaching search and they found and they ended up with Mike Norvell, I've got to look here. Uh, he's a Texas guy, and his background, uh, yeah, I mean, Central Arkansas, Tulsa, Pittsburgh, Arizona, state of Memphis. Like he just had good records wherever he went, and we went and they said, "You know what? this guy's a promising young coach. He's making eight mil. So if eight mil is the bench of what like a Florida state pays, then Colorado's already out of the gate. It's pretty close. The
2: reason I also struggle with this conversation, and this is not a hat that I ever like to put on, but I'm going to put it here so you can either dunk on me or you can acknowledge is you it. Is it a size nine a like Eddie wears? It's not a size nine <laughs> like Eddie wears. No, it's my normal uh, seven and eight uh, fitted cap. And it is the Notre Dame arrogant holier than thou hat that I never wear, but it, but it's there in case I ever need it for a rainy day. I have stopped believing in loyalty in college football. And again, I'm very happy that Brian Kelly's gone because I felt like he did what he was going to do. He'd reached his apex. I'm not bitter that he's gone. I was frustrated at the time because I thought Notre Dame was in that same class. Clearly, he didn't view it that way, or he just saw more benefits of recruiting or whatever, Whatever he went to LSU. I no longer believe whenever a coach's in one spot, they're not going someplace better unless they are truly at a top tier level next level program, which is primarily SEC schools. So that's also why I have this clouded view on it is because if Brian Kelly can leave Notre Dame, why wouldn't Deion Sanders want to go to bigger and better things in Colorado? Like that's that's just again, maybe that's closed minded, maybe that's arrogant, but that's part of my clouded
1: judgment on this. You just touched unfortunately, Jimmy on one of those things that keeps me awake at night that I go over and over in my mind all the time that I have a view on that I I'm convinced that it's a hill I'm going to die on that I'm correct about. And it's about loyalty. And I actually pride myself on being loyal. But when it comes to sports and loyalty, there's an angle on that that I think explains all of it. Um, I'll tell you what that is. Mike Vandermeer, who is the – I can't even say – Vandermeer. It's very difficult for me to say. Uh, Mike Vandermeer, who is the voice of the Houston Texans, joins us at 1.30, and the Matt Taylor at 2 o'clock as well. So plenty of Colts Texans talk over the course of today. Beautiful Thursday. Hope you're enjoying it, and I hope that you're happy that you're in the company. It's Quarian Company, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Okay, here's the thing, Jimmy, when it comes to loyalty in sports – loyalty is oftentimes determined by like when you really think about people that you talk to that that are fans of a particular team and you're like why do you like that team They're like cuz I'm loyal i'm loyal okay oftentimes loyalty is defined by your number of options somebody that graduates from Stanford and has a degree in biochemical engineering and is working for company A and Company B comes along and offers them 250 times 250% their salary, they're not very loyal. Because they're gonna move up because they have visions to go elsewhere. And then they, they work there and then all of a sudden somebody else comes along and you know says, Hey, I'm I'm with Quarry and Company, do you wanna come work here? And then they they jump to the next. And you're like, That guy's not very loyal. But a guy that like has been working the same job for thirty years There's nothing wrong with this, don't get me wrong. But a guy that is just making a good, solid, honest living, but doing so at a relatively middle market job that doesn't have a formal education or a secondary education, he doesn't have a lot of people knocking down his door on exactly on coming elsewhere. And so the one thing that he identifies with is he likes loyalty. Because the one thing about his job that he can push his chest out about is the fact that he's loyal because he hasn't left his job. Would he if somebody came and doubled his salary? Probably. But that's never been offered to him. So he says, but I'm loyal. Because it's easier to say I'm loyal than it is to say no one really has offered me an opportunity to better my position. So you, you talk about loyalty, right? And in sports... Sports is a business, and businesses are all about doubling their money, making more money, getting more interest, selling more tickets, winning games. And winning games does all of those things. So if you are an owner in sports, you have no loyalty towards your coach because you are always looking to better your position. And the way that you better your position is you sell more tickets, sell more merchandise, and they're always, in your mind, is a coach that might be doing it more than the guy that's currently there. And likewise, for that coach, there might be some owner that thinks he's the guy that can do it for them elsewhere. And so he gets offered 250% increase to go. And guess what? He goes, and everybody talks about how he's not loyal. He might not be loyal, but he's improving his lot in life. And I believe me, I'm a big supporter of personal interrelationship loyalty. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to workplace loyalty, oftentimes that is simply defined by your options and furthermore it is often professed by those that don't have many of them and that's totally harsh and unfair and it sucks but it's reality but when it comes to at this company i can tell you this inquiring company we are loyal to our employees i promise you that right promise you that uh colts and texans we'll get you the colts injury report where things stand and start taking a deeper dive on what they face on sunday and we'll do it next Colts getting set for the Houston Texans coming up on Sunday, Jimmy. It's an interesting matchup because you obviously have two quarterbacks we don't know a lot about. I mean, you know, we've seen promise from Anthony Richardson. I'm very curious to see what C.J. Stroud looks like because, I'll be honest, I thought, I thought coming out of college, and I mean this, you know, this may still be the case. I, I thought he was. He looked to me to be the most NFL-ready quarterback of those that we talked about heading into the draft between Richardson, Bryce Young. Bryce Young obviously was a great player in college. Uh, Stroud, Richardson, Levis. I thought Stroud was outstanding. And I thought he really showed it against Georgia how outstanding he is. But I think the thing, Trevor Lawrence had to learn this. I've mentioned this before. And I think C.J. Stroud is having to learn this and that is if you look at quarterbacks that have the seemingly come in and there are except you know Andrew Luck was an exception here right because he was obviously tremendous Robert Griffin III to a great extent was an exception but maybe those guys also benefited from what i'm about to say they didn't seem to have a big acclamation period in the national football league and perhaps it's because of this like, give me a quarterback, Jimmy, that was an all-world quarter in the last three or four or five years that coming out of college seemed like the can't-miss, number-one, absolute stud prospect that I'm not going to say it's a bust by any stretch, but is still learning their way through the league. Justin Fields to some okay. extent? Perfect example. Perfect example. Justin Fields and Anthony Richardson have a similar style of play, similar size. Justin Fields, we are still now in year three. If you were to grade him on a college report card, he would get an incomplete. I don't mean from a throwing. I mean, that's what the grade would be. We just still don't know. There are some plays where he looks unbelievable. There are other plays where he looks... Like he should be in a CYL league. But Justin Fields, when he was in college, who was he throwing to? Chris Olave. Garrett Wilson. Like, guys that were three feet away from everyone else. There were no windows to throw to. There was no collapse time to consider. All he had to do was throw the ball, and they were going to get it. And he did it very well, and he has a great arm. And all you have to do is watch him against Clemson in the semifinals when you know he was literally just throwing balls up there for 55 yards, and boom, touchdown Alave, touchdown Wilson. It was unbelievable. But in the NFL, I think one assumes that that's how it's going to be. And Trevor Lawrence, we saw him here, looked fantastic fantastic at, at times for Jacksonville but clearly now Trevor Lawrence has kind of gone through the awkward braces headgear years of a quarterback in the NFL he, he he seemingly has con he's gone through puberty now as a quarterback and it looks like he is an adult in the room but it wasn't that way for him right away because in college Trevor Lawrence was throwing to Justin Ross and T Higgins and Amari Rogers and they were two and he was handing off to Travis Etienne all guys that are playing on Sundays. So he gets to the NFL and he's like, whoa. Wh- you mean there, there's actual like windows I have to keep into consideration and I've actually got to develop timing and their like defenses are totally different. Anthony Richardson, I think, benefits from the fact I don't know his Florida personnel well, but they were not great last year. And learning the 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 adjustment necessary towards learning the timing and realizing that you are not as spoiled as you were in college isn't as prevalent with him as it is CJ Stroud Indianapolis is going to be able to hopefully benefit on Sunday if you're the Colts over the fact that CJ Stroud probably is going to try to make some throws that His brain is conditioned to make, Jimmy, because he thinks he's throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr., who's two steps ahead of everybody. That's going to be the biggest learning curve. And the Colts, if they're looking to get an early win here, it seems like this is an excellent opportunity for him to do so, right? Yes. I mean, what about the Houston Texans jumps out at you? There's not a ton. I was... I don't
2: know when this releases because I'm a bad fill in here, but I was with Kevin on Kevin's corner and I know when it released. I published the darn thing. So we released yesterday and we were discussing the matchup with the Texans and there's not anything about Houston that really strikes fear within you. The only thing is the optimism or the mystery of CJ Stroud as a rookie quarterback, kind of like what the Colts are dealing with right here. Um, And Will Anderson Jr. Picked by many to be defensive rookie of the year. And the type of impact that he's able to have on the Texans defense. Outside of that, this is a winnable game. I know we're gonna do our 1075, the fan picks tomorrow. I don't need to wait that long. I'm picking the Colts to win this game. I think they win it by two scores. This should be this should be the type of game where legacy game jokes aside, the Colts defense has enough pieces, not maybe to Baltimore's level, but they have enough pieces to make things hard on CJ Stroud all day on Sunday, to the point that even with a shaky run game, I think the Colts should be able to pull it out going away.
1: Yesterday during practice, there were three that did not practice at all due to injury. Or I, I don't know if you'd say injury as much as, you know, it might have been precautionary. Uh, Quentin Nelson did not practice with a toe injury. Maybe he's got gout. Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson which is grueling, by the way. Uh, I doubt it. He probably stubbed his toe. Uh, concussion, by the way, concussion protocol for <laughs> Drew Ogletree. Th- that's one of them. Fortunately, it's a position where you have some riches, but I, I think that was a bit of a surprise. Braden Smith uh, out with a knee and ankle. Those guys, none of them practiced. Zach Moss, uh, full practice. So. Big. Getting the FP on Wednesday is big. It I is. I like that. I mean, that's that's a big one. So you know, one of the things about week one, to be honest with you, Jimmy, is they made it through relatively unscathed for all intent and purposes. I mean, the NFL usually, there's, it's unusual to make it through a game and not have somebody... I mean, they did have, obviously, Evan Hole, you know, went on IR, but of your key notable players, they're in pretty good shape based on the fact that it's week one, I realize, but I don't know that any of those are, like, lingering. Now, Quentin Nelson will be an interesting injury because... I think we've seen with Quentin Nelson, he's a great player, but he's got to be 100. When he's not, when he's dinged up a little bit, I, he it does not feel the same. No, and that affects everybody else in, in terms of his overall effectiveness. Now, Houston, on the other hand, you know one of the guys in preseason that I think looked really good for them. Do you remember what Houston did in the draft? Uh, outside of the way they went about getting C.J. Stroud
2: and Will Anderson. that's Okay, that's what I mean. Yes.
1: They got aggressive a little bit, right? They did.
2: Some would argue that they kind of... The moves that they made to go acquire both players, some would argue they might have been able to do without being as aggressive as they were, but they did what they did. They went up and they traded up for Will Anderson, and then they were able to get back involved there and get C.J. Stroud. So... I don't know. It's a new coach. It's a it's a it's a new look for the Texans, and they felt like they needed cornerstone pieces on both
1: the edge and at the most important position in the game. And, and look, Will Anderson last week six tackles, a sack, thirty one percent pass rush, difference maker. Yes, he he has been he already. I, I mean, he's got to stay healthy, but but he is off to a fabulous start, and he's going to be he's going to be trouble for a long time he's going to be something to deal with for a long time but can you take the texans like which franchise of these two do you think other cities and other program other franchises take less seriously indianapolis or houston
2: (laughs) this is exactly the type of conversation you want to be in if you're a colts fan or if you're a texans fan is that you're at the lowest of the low and that's where the conversation is who fears you more who fears you less (sighs) It's still it, it look, I it's too early to say because it's all gonna be on who was I right the about Texans, their quarterback right? and who was it. You think the, the
1: Texans instill less fear? I, I think the Texans are a bigger train wreck. Yeah, I, I would say only the, but because the Colts they did it, are more stable look, defensively. The Texans yeah. did a really good job of jumping out and I feel bad when I stand up because then Nathaniel's got to change the camera angle here. That's gotta be annoying. Is that annoying, Nathaniel? No, not at all. Do what you gotta do. But you you never know like when I I don't really know when I'm gonna just stand up and sit down I don't know why see
2: but what just happened there that's a company man right there that is because even if it did annoy
1: annoy him he was not gonna tell you that <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's part of the company exactly um, the, the Texans I think it, it feels like going into the year Jimmy that they had. The let they had the least pieces of the two, but I think they did a really good job of addressing that and getting foundation at to your point in two critical areas that they can build upon. And I'm really interested to see what Stroud can do because I I, I just thought the world of him but Ohio State, when he he seems athletic, But you over, because of his athleticism, you forget about his arm, which is when he is in rhythm, he is really good. I mean, he can 100% put the ball where it needs to be. By the way, we've had a couple of exciting applications to the company lately. Recent developments? Yeah, we do. Positions Um, we haven't tackled yet? Or more finance people? Caleb says, I'm now a moderator for the channel's YouTube chat. Is that true? I would doubt it, but he can wear that title. Uh, does that mean that I'm technically HR for the company? No, we do not want an HR department. <laughs> I've been around long enough to know no HR department. Because when you when you get a call and you got go to go talk to HR, it means you've been laid off. Um, trust me, I've got my math. And I've told
2: right. you how we fix that at the company, right? You And in, get invited by HR for things that are not stressful. Hey, I just wanted to get some pizza here. <laughs> how you doing? How are okay. things? How's the family? That's good. Hey, great work. Keep it up.
1: Uh, jake this is jeff from cincinnati i'm a mail carrier i'd like to be the head of distribution for the company yes and furthermore if you're from cincinnati if you could be the largest distributor of little kings for the company right little kings now available only nathaniel you familiar with little kings you laugh from your show yeah how about that tell you what company man indeed you've been promoted i think as a matter of fact you are you are co-ceo wow yep How about that? Off to Colorado next week. (laughs) You are? Yeah, that's right. That comes with the CEO position, right? Yeah. Nathaniel gets it. He knows what's up. I'm having a PTO. Somebody else had, uh, yesterday, several people came up to me to say that they want to be part of the company. My friend Dan. I I call my friend Dan. We're having dinner on Wednesday night. First thing he says, Dan Wakefield. First thing he says, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm in the company. I'm on board. I'm like, yes. That's what I like to hear. Aggressive expansion all the way Noted around. Noted author, best-selling author, writer of NBC television shows, and he's in the company. That's big. He, he knows what's up. The right?
2: one piece to the Texans that moving forward interests me a great deal is whenever they get John Mechie back on the field. Like the, the hype that he was as a receiver coming out of college. Well, they got to get some
1: weapons, right? They, they,
2: they do, but but I think they believe that Mechie can be that for C.J. Stroud. One piece, right? You need to continue to roster build. But he's been dealing with a hamstring injury now, and he was not available week one. A limited participant so far on Wednesday. I don't know if that happens, his availability, if it occurs for um, this week specifically, but I think it'll happen at some point. And, of course, he had his battle with cancer, which is why he didn't play at all. In the previous season so he's yet to see an NFL football field in full capacity he was a tantalizing weapon in college I want to see what he's able to do with C.J. Stroud and what the Texans are able to do offensively but again I don't know if that's something that happens this week you'll get a better idea from today's practice report where he's trending but limited participant with a hamstring and did not play week
1: one Stroud I think to a great extent they're doing with him kind of what the Colts have done with Richardson so far and maybe it's out of necessity but, you know, Stroud averaged five and a half yards per re- per reception in week one. So, you know, when you look at that, they're clearly trying to limit – I'm not saying limit the big plays, but they're trying to get them in rhythm, right? Yep. They're not – I think Stroud, I mean, week one, 28-44 for 242, right? Five and a half yards per catch. Sacked five times, and that's big.
2: That, that is big for where I think the Colts can dominate this game is you know that you have – you feel confident to some extent with this defense from what they did last year to where they are right now. You continue to ask for when does Pay take the leap forward? DeForest Buckner looked great last week. Like this, this needs to be a complete game up front. I'm not
1: saying need five sacks, but he was running for his life right. in Baltimore. And that's – And the thing is, you cannot – the Texans should know this with David Carr. And, you know, I I talked to one of the writers down there recently that were talking about David Carr, and they're like, Jake, the thing you got to understand about David Carr, they didn't give him much help, but he also was not a great worker. And I've got to trust them because I'm not around it, right? I'm like, okay, that I did not know. But, I mean, David Carr, he was never able to get going because, you know, he's the number one draft – the number one pick in their draft, and then they just never built weapons around him, and he was running for his life forever. And you get to a point, Jimmy, of no return, right? That's the thing to me for Anthony Richardson that was the most, the the best sign for the Colts is the fact that I thought Anthony Richardson looked comfortable. And he, he looked already, like, almost unaware of the fact that he wasn't supposed to be in that position. And that's a really positive thing, because the last thing you want is for a a young quarterback to have their their confidence disrupted or rattled and in Stroud's case I mean I I think that's part of why they're just doing training wheel type offense with them because if he's back there getting battered they want to at least from a throwing standpoint give him a chance to start to feel in rhythm right yes hit the layups didn't Chris Ballard say that once I think so,
2: and additionally, they didn't get a chance to do this in part because of game script. But you want to be able to dictate tempo with Damian Pierce as well to take further pressure off of C.J. Stroud. They were behind for most of that game to the point that they kind of had to abandon the run to some extent.
1: Uh, two three nine ten seventy is the telephone number. Jonah ended the show yesterday, and I think is jumping on board today. Jonah, what's going on? Hey,
3: it's part two of uh, the talk. There you <laughs> I go. Said I would call back.
1: I appreciate the persistence. Um, Sorry about that yesterday.
3: Oh, no, you're good. No, no worries at all. So my takeaways of the game, I thought the negatives would be quarterback play in the secondary. Neither of those happened. And also the offensive line with, with the pass block, I thought was actually pretty decent. You couldn't say that at all last year, but I thought the run block was awful. Now is that, you know, with Deion Jackson and not having Jonathan Taylor in the backfield? That could be. I don't think the Colts go 0-4 on fourth down if if he was back there. But that's the other thing I want to talk about is I thought coaching was just abysmal. For a quarterback that has training wheels on, I thought that it was too fast of a tempo on offense. And just with all the gambles that they did in midfield, I I was just a little surprised because it it seemed like they weren't trusting their defense. And despite putting up 31 points, I thought the defense played very well. And – Jacksonville made two throws, one in the end zone and one to Ingram, that was just almost undefendable, and I, I thought the secondary, this young secondary, played well, so there's a lot of positives to take from this, but I I just, with a limited offense, i like to see us not take so many gambles unless it's necessary, so I, I'm expecting a win this week, and I really think there's going to be a lot of growing pains, but also a lot of positives with this young team.
1: Yeah, Jonah, I think it's a good point. I, listen, the reality is this. This time a year ago, if the if, if the performance looked the exact same, I, I think the optimism would have been less just because you knew that you were in a quarterback on borrowed time, so to speak, and Matt Ryan, you knew that you were going to have to turn the page eventually, um, and so that in that regard, there all automatically is like an energy and an optimism, right, because everybody knows it's a learning curve. But there were – you're right, there were positives. Jimmy, I mean, he's he's correct in the fact that the secondary – you know, the they're, they're young, right? They're young young corners, young... And that's a position, that's an area and a unit that typically has a lot of turnover from both an injury and just kind of a, a an in-the-zone kind of way. But I think they showed... And, you know, you got a guy in Juju Brents that people are excited about that didn't even get... A, that, that wasn't, you know, isn't healthy yet. So there is... He's correct. There are reasons to be optimistic. I just don't think people should anticipate that that means... You know, eight or nine wins this year. No, right?
2: but it should mean that you can stack a couple against teams that you're better than. And what I mean by that is we can say all we want. For some reason, we want to pretend that the Jaguars are like not a good football team, or that, well, they're still within reach of most of this division. This is far closer to, at least the Jaguars think this, the dominance that the Colts had, like the early stages of this. We talked about it last week. Than it is to the old AFC South that's dog water, that nobody trusts, that "Eh, which team is going to spin the wheel and be the division winner this year? It's not that. And from a defensive standpoint, I know Calvin Ridley had eight for one hundred and one. I know Zay Jones had five for 55. I get it, but they had to work for all of those with a secondary that we came in saying a lot of young bodies, how are they going to respond? Where are things going to be as a whole? They made Jacksonville work for everything they got in the passing game last week. And that's something that you would hope translates to week two and with inferior receivers on the other side of the ball compared to Jacksonville, you step up and there's some turnovers. There's some, interceptions that occur. There's quick three and outs from Houston's lack of offensive firepower. That's what you're banking on with this defense. Uh, Do you have a playlist? A playlist? Mm -hmm. Musical
1: playlist. Yes. Okay, good, because we're taking a road trip next. And we're taking it to Houston because Mark (laughs) Vandermeer, who is the voice of the Texans, joins us on the program. So half past one on a Thursday. It's going to mean a Thursday road trip. The thought being that each Thursday we will take you to a different market somewhere probably more often than not going to be whoever the Colts are playing coming up on Sunday. But you never know when there might be some topic of major buzz. Like, for example, I think everybody's kind of played out on the Aaron Rodgers thing. But if we were to go to New York and talk about that, as a matter of fact, while we're still trying to uh, track down Mark Vandermeer from the Houston Texans, the voice of the Houston Texans, I can tell you in the meantime, a couple of interesting things involving quarterbacks in the National Football League. Uh, Jimmy, there is one report out there of teams that the New York Jets may have interest in talking to or or putting out a feeler or finding out. Quarterbacks reportedly of interest for the New York Jets. Cam Newton, former Panther quarterback. Come on, right? Matt Ryan, former Falcon and Colt quarterback. Come on. This is, where, this is where you're like, there's no way this isn't accurate. I, I would
2: rather have Zach Wilson.
1: Philip Rivers. Uh, come on. Philip Rivers hadn't played in two years now. What, three years? Two years? I got to think. Three, right? Um, Wentz, two, Ryan. Right? No, no. W- Wentz less. No, right. last year. Yeah. Wentz, gosh. It, yeah. see, see how easily you forget? Saw oh, Wentz's right. Wentz. name thrown out a little bit too. Nick Foles. Come on. Chad Henney. Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> anytime is time, baby. Super and then, Bowl champion. And then this one at the top of the list. Indianapolis Colts quarterback Gardner Minshew. I'm telling you, I have these brainstorms that come out and you think that I'm crazy. Like, maybe there's a reason my last name starts with Q. Because I have these wild harebrained <laughs> things and then you're like, you know what, maybe there's truth to that. It would not surprise me if the Jets inquired about Gardner Minshew, Honestly.
2: It wouldn't surprise me if they inquired, but like I'd almost rather
1: But if you're yeah. the Colts, why wouldn't you do it? You know, I
2: I wanna see
1: Zach I'm mean, to I wanna see Zach Wilson again. Like I No, don't... I agree with that. Th- that. I agree with that. But if they get to the point where they and I'm with you. I'm with you. You see if Zach Wilson's learned and grown, right? But if he can't go if it's clear that he's not gonna be the guy and you have to go out and get somebody I'd make a call to Indianapolis, yes. And if you're the Colts, why wouldn't you do it? What what no reason not And to. listen, I have nothing against Gardner Minshew. I think he's been a solid pro since he got here, which is not long I realize, but he's done, you know, he's been he's handled it correctly. He's said the right things. I think he's and maybe that's the one thing he can do is tutor along Anthony Richardson. But outside of that, what what good does he do you at this point? Now that you now that you've handed the keys over to Anthony Richardson. If Anthony Richardson goes down, or if they decide that Anthony Richardson needs to just sit and watch for a while, which is not going to happen. But if that were the case, then the other quarterback on the roster is the one that last year, Jim Irsay, wanted to be the starter to begin with, right? And so, why would you not? There's nothing to be gained by handing it over. It's not like Gardner Mitchell is going to get you into the playoffs, right? I'm all for,
2: particularly when you are on the doorstep of playoff contention or conference championship contention, et cetera, et cetera for having a valuable backup. The Colts are about two years away from that being a reality. If you can get future draft capital of any kind for a player that you're never going to put on the field, barring an injury to your own quarterback, at which point you're not trying to win games anyway, this year, make the trade, get some draft capital back and profit. I mean, that's that's what I would do. And also if Minshew asked me, like if I'm Gardner Minshew, I I don't know. I, I get it. that players are, it's a brotherhood and they're worried about their team. But like, Gardner wants to be a starter in this league again. And granted, it would be a one-off in New York, assuming Rodgers comes back next year. I know that's a big assumption to make. But if he does, that's, even still, that gives Gardner mitchell an opportunity for another open audition to the league to, hey, I can be a starter. Look at what I was able to do in New York. Give me a chance to be your long-term quarterback. It, it makes too much sense not to explore those chances. Unless, of course, given the fact that, you know, the general manager's looking for... Jalen Waddell, for a position nobody cares about, that maybe he wants, I don't know, uh, Garrett Wilson for Gardner Minshew. Like, if that's where negotiations are, then Here, here's the maybe thing, not.
1: Though.
2: Obviously, Jimmy, I'm kidding, Jimmy, but f- you know I what f- I
1: mean. I firmly, firmly believe this. With the Jonathan Taylor, I'm going to say negotiation for lack of a better phrase, but with the Jonathan Taylor exploration of trade, And the Colts reportedly asking for Jalen Waddell or other like dynamic receivers. Hey, what's your name? They knew as well as you and I that that was never going to happen. Yes. But they wanted to present to Jonathan Taylor and his representation the line in the sand of what his market value was. And they wanted to say, see, these other teams are not willing to part with dynamic first-round level talents for your services. So we're not going to pay you like a dynamic first-round talent. It was, a, it was a negotiating tool.
2: But but you and I had this discussion about his contract a couple of weeks ago, Jake, and it's like, I get what you're saying. I understand the Colts would view it that way as a tool to present to Jonathan Taylor what he's actually worth, but just because you can't get a top-tier, dynamic first-round talent piece back for your running back doesn't mean at age 24 he's not worthy of 13 or $14 million a year. Like, if I'm his agent or if I'm Jonathan Taylor – That's not a one plus one equals two equation because they couldn't get Jalen Waddle for me. I
1: don't understand that. I don't disagree with that, Jimmy. I'm sorry. But what I'm saying is, okay, your wife tells you your favorite shirt, your wife tells you you got to get rid of it. Okay. Sure. Got to get rid of it. Tough day, but yes. And you go, okay, fine. And you know deep down you have no interest in getting rid of that shirt. But your wife's like, you got to get rid of it. And you're like, okay. And so you say to your neighbor, hey, do me a favor. Put this on eBay for me and let people know if if they want to trade me their finest Armani suit, they can have the shirt. (laughs) And then after six weeks, you go back to your wife and you go, "I, I put it on eBay. You saw I put it on eBay. But, but, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't find anybody that was willing. So, I, you know, I, there's nobody to take it. So you wanted me to sell it, and I, I, I tried. In the Colts' case, they, with Jonathan Taylor, I don't think they had any interest in moving him. They wanted to send him the message initially. Now, they might still do it now, but initially when the agent was saying he is a, a player of like first-round talent, they were that was their way of saying like okay so if he is if if you are expecting us to pay Jonathan Taylor by telling us the market value says that he is a first round pick then let's float it out there and find what first round level picks we're going to get back for him oh guess what nobody actually was willing to make that deal so we now know what his market value is and you can tell us what you think it is but we're showing you definitive proof of what the market says his value is Right?
2: doesn't that get distorted though if the Packers or Dolphins really were willing to pay him what he's asking for that isn't it the
1: Colts that are setting a fake market yes of course they are the Colts are saying to the, the, the Colts are saying to Jonathan Taylor you are not worth that money to us and they're trying to prove to him that okay but why why are they trying to prove it to him what do they hope is the end goal for the- Jonathan Taylor
2: that he sits there and is like you know what that's on me. I actually only want nine million dollars no. a year for the like, no, th- yeah. I'm serious. yes. uh, Masking yes. seriously. Yes. What
1: what is what do they hope happens yes. then? Well what they hope happens is, you know, look, get in there and play because you're under contract. I mean that's it. Get in there and play because you're under yeah. contract. But but you here's the thing. The Dolphins and I forget who the other team was, the 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 quote unquote mystery team. Packers. Packers. They, the report was they were willing to pay him. Then the general manager of the Dolphins comes out and goes, yeah, man, I mean, like there was a phone call, but it was, wasn't even close.
2: I, well, I would also agree it wasn't close if the first words out of Chris Ballard's mouth were Jalen Waddle, please. Like, yeah, that's not close. It's not serious negotiations.
1: That's my point.
2: But, so, of course. So I agree with you. They don't have an interest in trading him clearly because of what they're rumored to be asking for. But so, what is their end play in your mind then? Tagging so in, him next year yes, and and, yes, and telling him, hey, yes. if you don't want to play for us, bleep off. Like yes. that's, okay. Yes. Then, you, then you and I are aligned in the same viewpoint. Then I agree with you. I don't think they have any interest in trading him. They have all the power. Either he plays for the Colts or he doesn't play football. Like that's correct. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm aligned with you on that.
1: Correct. And and I again, I go back to I've said it a hundred times. This is one situation where I do understand both sides. I think Jonathan Taylor has a very legitimate case because if I'm Jonathan Taylor, I'm looking at precedent and I'm going, you extended Quentin Nelson when the guy had three surgeries in like 18 months and you gave him an extension. You extended Shaq Leonard when they were still figuring out if the foot bone's connected to the knee bone connected to the <laughs> neck bone, right? Yes. I mean, you extended Naeem Hines and then traded him. Great but you won't extend me? And, our, it, and then if you're the Colts, you also say, yeah, but you know, I mean running back is a fungible position. I mean, I, there are there are very if this was high school debate class and both st- sides sat up there and gave their point, you would probably consi- you would you would score it as a draw, the right? O-
2: the only reason I don't scored as a draw and we're not going to know this until the dust finally settles
1: by the way this is the worst road trip i've ever been it on. is tough
2: it's like that we, we hit we hit a wrong song right. that we both disagreed we're on like, and it's led into we're like Fozzie and kermit yeah, and we just took great. a wrong
1: turn in rhode it's island not. what the hell are we doing
2: right it, the only way i'm willing to score to draw and we're not going to find this out for weeks and weeks and i've said this before on this program if the colts are operating underneath a world where jonathan taylor asked for 15 16 million dollars a year then yes, I agree the Colts are probably partially in the right because we're not going to pay you that. But if it is a $13 million a year deal for three years, that's no longer insanity to me. He's only 24 years old. He's going to be 27 by the time that contract's done and you want him around to help develop Jonathan Taylor. If it's just $13 million a year and that's what's holding you back from helping your young quarterback develop...
1: Get off your high horse and pay him. Uh, again, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, it is fascinating because there are valid points both ways. Did I just uh, unfortunately disconnect Derek? Oh, yeah. Derek, call right back. I meant to, to punch him through, and I think I disconnected. <laughs> what do they do to this computer? Derek was waiting patiently for almost 20 minutes, and I think I inadvertently. Derek, please call back at 239 uh, 1070. In the meantime, let's go to the phone lines. Brian's been waiting. Brian, what's up? Hey, Jake. Are you part of the company, Brian? Uh,
4: no i'd like to be uh yeah, well, what, the other the other day i was on the uh, on the phone with you and i was talking about movies and i was a little bit negative
1: oh no you, you, is this brian from Morseville? it is yes it is brian let me tell you something and i apologize for that no, no you know what brian i, did I really you, enjoyed the program did you hear the show yesterday brian yes i did okay i don't know if you heard it in the beginning but i was asking you to call in so i appreciate you did i, I went back do you ever watch seinfeld brian Oh, yes. Okay, you know the the episode of Seinfeld where George uh, gets so mad at himself because after the fact he thought about what he should have said when, when the guy got on him about jerk store and the shrimp? I don't know if you remember that episode. Oh, yes. Yes, okay. I do. So, Brian, I kid you not when I say this. That was on Tuesday, I think, when you called in. And for those that are unfamiliar, you called in, and I took you cold turkey, and you said you don't want to be part of the company because we were talking about movies, and you thought it was a sports show. And then we talked about The Wizard of Oz very briefly. And then I got home, and I, I pulled a George Costanza. And when I got home, Brian, I thought to myself, you know what? I handled that totally incorrectly, and here's why. Because... You turn on this radio station in hopes of listening to a sports show, and you called in to very politely voice that opinion, and I took you on the air without you know, you getting the chance to say why you were calling in. And I probably myself handled that incorrectly and was not totally appreciative of the fact that you were the listener, which means you're the customer and the customer's always right. And so I handled it wrong. I apologize for that. And then I thought to myself, if you are listening to this show, which you still are, and I appreciate and you want to hear sports, then I should give you the open platform to bring up the subject matter of which you'd like to discuss. So with that apology, what's on your mind today? And thanks for calling back.
4: I like to tell you this. Uh, we do have some things in common. My birthday is September third, nineteen fifty-eight.
1: Well, happy birthday! So, do you remember your fourteenth birthday?
4: Oh, I'm sure I do.
1: Did you hear the earth? Did you feel the earth move on your fourteenth birthday?
4: Yes, yes, I did.
1: Because <laughs> you know, you know what was happening at Methodist Hospital. The celebration was on, Brian, because that was the day I was born. Okay.
4: All right. So we got that another established. Thing, uh, another thing, real quick. I, I did go to Washington Township Schools. So we have that in common. Now, were you an Eastwood guy? Uh, no, I was a Westlane guy.
1: Okay. Well, you know, I mean, Eastwood's better than Westlane, But, Brian, you know, we can still meet yeah, halfway my, because –
4: We did we did move, you, and my brother did go to Eastwood. Okay,
1: there so. you go. And then you were a Panther, so hail our Panthers. That's cool.
4: Right. Both All my right. sisters graduated from the North Central, and I only went one year. We moved again. but And the other thing is uh, I'm a big race fan, and I enjoy your uh, – broadcast on the 500 i always listen to the radio for that
1: well i appreciate you it know? it's the easiest job in the world and it's a heck of a lot of fun i can tell you that you know but i
4: really enjoy it so i appreciate it my first race was in 1968 so uh,
1: 68 who won bobby Unser. that is correct yes the first of his three one of only two men to win it in three different decades uh brian well, your thoughts you, your colts texans thoughts on sunday
4: uh i think the colts can win but i uh, think it's gonna be tired people think I, I think it's going to be a close game.
1: Here's the thing, Brian. I hate to say this. Doesn't it feel like it's kind of a close game because because it's literally like a
4: it, – it not feels, sure what's happening?
1: Yeah, it feels like a musical competition between two mimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it, like, like, Let's be honest. You know? I mean, that's just the reality of it. Brian, here's yeah. the thing. I'm going to hire you for the company, and okay. here's what I love about it. Uh, you are the director of compromise because both of us compromised over that call and found common ground. How's that? that sounds great and us september 3rd kids got to stick together brian so happy belated right, birthday you. to you thank you all right that's brian in mooresville see jimmy is
2: in awe i've been trying to figure out for decades how we can achieve world peace who knew it was here on the company Or common ground can be found after
1: on-air confrontations jimmy, jimmy let's be real unprecedented for this job for you that's new territory right Yes, yes, it is. Can we agree to that? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, we can. Okay. Uh, Matt Taylor, by the way, the voice of the Colts, is going to join us at 2 o'clock. Matt, Steve, Derek, Rick, stick around. We'll get to you. Derek, you know what? Derek I feel bad for, so let's just take him now. We're over, but I'm taking Derek. Derek, I totally apologize. That was my bad.
5: Uh, No problem. Well, thanks for taking my call. How are you doing today? I'm all right. What's going on? Oh, nothing. Well, I think we're going to win. I think we're going to have a good day against C.J. Stroud, and we're going to he's going to get sacked and he's going to throw interceptions. That's just what I think.
1: Does Will Anderson and the defense that Houston can throw at Anthony Richardson concern you at all? Will
5: Anderson does concern me. Yeah, he's good, isn't yep. he? That's because he, he had a field day, a pretty good game, his first game. That's the only thing that concerns me. But I hope hope Q will be back in. I hope the offensive line can block and maybe we can get a half a yard on that on that philly special push or whatever they call it
1: now derek you are the director of veteran affairs if i'm not mistaken for Quarian company and you just had a, a surgery everything going all right oh yeah i'm doing pretty good uh, thanks for asking uh, another
5: rotator cuff surgery i'm recovering very well and i uh, waiting to start physical ther- therapy uh, uh, next another while.
1: so you've had one before had one in 2020. Okay, so you're actually the Same official. Shoulder. You're the official Andrew Luck division president. Of I Andrew, get that. yeah, that's right. On, on the company, <laughs> Derek, enjoy it on the men. By the way, all right, and I appreciate well, you listening. One
5: more, one more thing I wanted yep.
1: to say. Um, so,
5: who's going to be first to take uh, JT's sign down? Is it going to be his agent, or is it going to be JT? Or do you think Ballard's going to climb up there?
1: Boy, <laughs> that's a good question, man. We got we got three more weeks to probably figure out what happens there, right? Because if he ain't playing in week five. And a better question would be who goes who goes up? I guess it'd be Richardson, right? Is Richardson up yet? I don't know. You got Shaq Leonard. You got Quentin Nelson. If he's not up, that's the easy answer, right? DeForest Buckner and Taylor, isn't that the four? I think so. Yeah, it's it's obviously Richardson, right? Yeah, they're probably doing the mural right now. They're over at Fast Signs not putting Jake, one together. Not if Jake Funk
2: has anything to say about it.
1: <laughs> that's right. We need the funk, baby. So I was super excited for our Thursday road trip which is a feature we're going to start doing on the show regularly, where every Thursday we talk to somebody from outside market about something relevant – to Indianapolis, and do you have any idea how many movies I had downloaded ready to go for the road trip? I I know I, mostly because that way it takes away the art of conversation. Exactly. Uh, so I was you know I was appreciative. You were ready to go. We had the snacks ready to go. We had the intro music for the road trip, and then we hit a snag. We hit a snag, and we got a flat, and we pulled over to the side of the road, and our road trip seemingly was ruined. And then, of course, I remember that I have AAA, so no problem. Big of you. Uh, and if you don't have AAA, you're missing out. Who's your dot AAA com is the website. We called Triple A and they said, yes, we got a hold of your guy and he's actually going to be on at 2.30 instead of 1.30. So, boom, we're back on the road. And Matt Taylor joins us next. Colts and Texans set to tussle on Sunday. Of course, one who will be there, he is the radio voice of the Indianapolis Colts, joining us on the program, as you just heard, brought to you by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt Taylor joins us. Matt, I'll get right to uh, probably the question that from here on out is typically going to be the first, and that is uh, just kind of a, a health report card. A couple of guys missing practice yesterday that sat out. Quentin Nelson was out yesterday. That that probably is the one that really jumped out. Drew Ogletree and the concussion protocol. Um, where do things stand from a health standpoint today?
6: Yeah, those are the big ones. Those are the big ones, certainly. I mean, anytime you're talking about two starting offensive linemen uh, and compounded with just like the lack of depth. Uh, yeah, Braden Smith was
1: the other one, by the way, that was, yep. that was set out. Yeah.
6: Yep. Absolutely. So, you know, Nelson and Smith, you know, you're going to be watching those guys pretty intently. Um, the Colts actually are practicing right now as we speak. The injury report typically comes out around 345, 4 o'clock, so we'll see where they're at today. But like you said, neither guy practiced yesterday. Nelson, uh, he left the game early, not early, but he missed a handful of snaps in the second quarter uh, against the Jaguars on Sunday with that toe. But he was able to come back and, you know, just in typical – Quentin Nelson fashion gutted it out. Um, obviously, watching what's going on with Zach Moss, you know he practiced uh, for most of the week last week. Uh, it was questionable on Friday, downgraded to doubtful on Saturday, then was inactive on Sunday. You know you're just watching that because of just you know the the lack of playmaking ability that was there at the running back position on Sunday. You know Colts running backs only. You know they had I think 16 carries for 25 yards. You're just not going to win many football games. Uh, with, with that type of production from your running game, especially when you know a team can afford to stay in that look, that cover two, load the box type look, uh, because uh, you know knowing they can slow down the run, and they're also doing a really good job of limiting the big plays from Anthony Richardson playing zone defense. So yeah, Zach Moss is big, and then those two offensive linemen are big because of who they are, what they mean, how good they are, and just because of. You know some man experience uh, in the in the uh, your reserve offensive lineman room, if you will.
1: Matt, when you look at Anthony Richardson, who I thought for the most part, I mean, a young guy making his first start in the NFL. I mean, we've seen guys that kind of clam up a little bit. I thought he looked comfortable for the most part. Um, but if there were plays that you go back and they look on film and they go, okay, this is in like if Houston's looking at the tape of Anthony Richardson the thing or the area where he would seem to show a little bit of vulnerability would be when he is facing what?
6: Well, I just think it goes back to the scheme that the Jaguars played. They did a really good job of forcing him to take underneath throws. And he started the game really, really well, uh, did Richardson. I think he was, I think he completed like 15 of his first 19 passes. Uh, And, you know, you certainly would take that all day. But the problem was, is I think the Colts ran 69 plays on offense and they only had three plays for the entire game, go over 20 yards. You know, one of them was a Granson catch. Uh, Another one was certainly that, that Pittman junior wide receiver screen that he turned into a 39 yard touchdown, but that's, that's a yards after the catch, right? That, that's, that's a play that happens at the line of scrimmage where a great player ends up making a great play. It's not pushing the ball down the field and taking advantage of scheme. So you give credit uh, to Richardson for for taking what was there, and and I think more importantly for the totality of the game, not making bad mistakes while trying to force the ball. Maybe he certainly did on that one interception. Uh, you know, uh, Tyson Campbell did a great job of kind of baiting Richardson into that throw, thinking in coverage. He's going to definitely learn from that. But I think it's just going to be really interesting, interesting and fascinating to see how the Texans. And every other team now going forward play the Colts because they did a good job against the run, which then afforded them the ability to stay in those zone coverages to limit the damage, to limit the big plays, um, and, and take away Richardson's effectiveness and his arm strength being able to push the ball down the field. I mean, I think, you know, if you want to get real stat nerdy on, he, on you, but like, you know, I think he was like Richardson was like two for ten pushing the ball down the field beyond eight yards beyond the line of scrimmage which just goes to show you that you know the Jaguars were intent on making Richardson beat them with a lot of nickel and dime stuff down the field make him work for it right go on these long extended drives not give up big plays not give up the home run that ultimately gets you beat I mean it's kind of cliche but I think it's true I mean third down red zone and and big play ability you know those are If you win those three kind of battles within the war of an NFL game, you have a really good chance to win. And unfortunately, the Colts lost all three of those major important categories.
2: Matt Taylor, the Voice of the Colts. Nice enough to take some time with us here on Query and Company. Mate, I was impressed with what I saw up front from the Colts in week one. And when you look, and I know you have it, the film from Houston's side of things, C.J. Stroud spent most of his Sunday running for his life. is sacked five times. Baltimore's defense really able to get home a ton. This isn't necessarily an an if not now when game, but how critical to dominating the proceedings is it for the Colts for DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, Quiddie Pay, Samson Ebucom to make their presence felt and make life difficult Sunday for CJ Stroud?
6: Yeah, it's a great question, and I think they got to. I think I think the sense of urgency in this game has got to be just incredibly high. And I know that sounds silly because. This is the NFL, and you only get 17 games, and every game's important. Yes, but you're talking about potentially going down 0-2. You're potentially talking about going down 0-2 inside the AFC South, which is even more damning. I mean, like the percentage of teams that start 0-2 and and go on to make the playoffs is like less than 12%, right? So it, it can be done but it just shows you like how important it is to get this game against a rookie quarterback that was under pressure a lot last week. In fact, Stroud was sacked five times against the Ravens, which was more than any game uh, he had been sacked uh, at all at Ohio State. So he played with some great players, you know, great offensive line. He certainly had elite weapons to throw to at the college game. Um, but I, I think that is the key is – Get, get in his face, make him uncomfortable, uh, make him throw before he wants to, get him out of the pocket, because he's not going to run, or at least he's not looking to run outside of the pocket. He's still looking to make something happen. You know, Traditionally, that was the type of quarterback he was at Ohio State. And, again, he played with great players at an elite program, and you can't take anything away from him as far as his production and all of that, I mean, this kind of sounds like the conversation we had back in February and March leading up to the draft. But, I mean, his completion percentage when he had a clean pocket at Ohio State the last couple of years was like 71%. On the rare times when he didn't have a clean pocket and when he was under pressure, that completion percentage dropped to like 41%. So he's a completely different quarterback, as are most, when he has people in his face uh, and he's throwing under duress. And that's where Buckner... And Ebicom and Stewart and Quidi Pay and Dioa Dengbo, they have to win up front. And I think, based on what they showed in week one, I think they will, or at least they should, because you know, they they dominated that game for long stretches uh, in, in week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously, fourth quarter defense let them down, red zone defense let them down. But I, I I'm 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 optimistic about this defense more so than last year, because they dominated, I thought, that game for, for two-and-a-half, three-quarters uh, on Sunday.
1: Matt Taylor is our guest. He is, of course, the voice of the Colts. He is joining us by way of Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts who make it all possible for the conversation. Um, Matt, let's go back to you know just offensively. I thought Josh Downs, early on, it looked like – it seems to me like that's a guy – the analogy I've used probably too many times, Matt, is when you play, you're play, you playing your buddy and horse, no shots are dropping, so you go and you just do a couple of layups and a couple of free throws to get yourself kind of back in rhythm. I thought Anthony Richardson, Josh Jones, was a really important piece for him to just get in rhythm, get his footing in terms of the passing game, and then later other pieces came to fruition. Is that kind of going to be Downs' role over the course of the season, a guy that they they use early in games to kind of jumpstart things? Yeah,
6: I think so. I mean, I think so to build that rhythm and build that confidence from Anthony Richardson and also establish one of your best playmakers you have on offense. And I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, Downs has to bring something to this offense that they haven't had the last couple of years. He's a true slot receiver. He's small. He's really shifty. He's got really good speed. But I think more so than anything, because of his you know family football lineage, if you will. His dad was a uh, uh, you know a player in the NFL, a coach in the NFL. His uncle was Dre Bly. He just has a really good like feel for the game, instinctual um, you know football IQ, for lack of a better term. So he just gets it. And I think he can help Anthony Richardson uh, get going early in games, uh, you know, like on the third and medium, on those true money downs, right? When it doesn't favor the offense or defense, that's where Josh Downs comes into play. And you're right, they got him going early, not so much later in the game. I mean, in fact, you know, the Colts offense just didn't do, unfortunately, too much late in that game. Um, but I think that can lead to you know a seam pass over the middle to drew ogletree like we saw or you know a big out route for a first down and 15 yards to to kylan granson so you know those two guys have a lot of synergy and chemistry going on early and i would expect to see josh downs have a big year and and be one of the more confident players that um anthony richardson throws the football to
1: in high leverage situations. is it fair to assume that you're going to be calling zach moss's name on sunday
6: yeah, I mean it, it's it's trending that way. I mean, I, I think again, you know, he's got to practice in full like he did yesterday, got to practice in full again today and tomorrow to have a good shot. But you know, he broke his arm on July thirty first, which I think was like the first day of full contact up at Grand Park in training camp. So we're just now starting to again get, get into like week six, um, where you know the, the the stereotypical doctors and trainers will tell you like that's. That's the the normal rehab and recovery time for an injury like that. So, you know, maybe last week was a little bit early and kind of premature um, and just didn't have a lot of, like, practice time and conditioning back under his belt because he missed so much time of training camp in the preseason. Now that he practiced last week and he's practicing again this week, you know, he's he's getting more run with the first-team offense with Anthony Richardson. I I would say, you know, just my gut is that he's going to be out there and that should you know provide a a you know more of a spark for the running game which they desperately need after what happened to him last week.
2: We're going to talk a little bit to Mark Vandermeer coming up after this, Matt, and I want to get your perspective as well being on the opposing side of things. I know it's only one week of film and stats to digest in, but what are your initial impressions on Will Anderson Jr. and how do you think he's going to test the Colts offensive line?
6: Yeah, I mean, just watching him, um, you know, on tape a little bit, he is—he's as advertised. He got the sack on Lamar Jackson the fourth quarter, but I thought he was better than that. I mean, you know, he—he he had a lot more pressure on Lamar Jackson than if he just like turned on the or just turned the the box score up on your phone or something and said, well, he only had one sack. He was really, really, I think, more disruptive than that. You know, Jackson had to make a lot of typical. You know Lamar Jackson athletic type moves to to get out of sacks from from Anderson, and I, I think their front seven in general is deceptively good. I mean, I think it's really really good, um, and they play hard. They run to the football. That's sort of like their mo uh, under D'Amico Ryan's. Um, and again, I just I'm, I'm I'm really eager to see how much of those zone coverages from the Jaguars they implement in this game. But they've got Malik Collins, Denzel Perriman, uh, you, you know, you talked about Anderson. They've got Jerry Hughes, who's now more of a rotational piece, which is crazy because Hughes still had nine sacks last year. This is his 14th season in the NFL. I was going to say
1: he was. It feels like he was drafted by the Colts in like '94.
6: Yeah, no, it's it, two, 2011. If, if I'm not mistaken, it was or no, it was 2010. Excuse me, it was the second to last draft uh, class for uh, Bill Polian before you know they switched the, that era of, of Colts football. But he's still getting it done in the back end. they got Derek Stingley. They've got Steven Nelson. Uh, kind of watching out for what's going on with their safeties. Their safeties are banged up with Jalen Petrie and Jimmy Ward. If I had a hunch right now, I would say it's going to be tough for both of those guys to play on Sunday, um, which should help the Colts because I think both guys are really, really good. You've got a young guy and then a savvy veteran in Ward who comes over from the 49ers who spent all those years with Ryans there. Um, but yeah, this is. I think this is a deceptively good defense. Um, you know, last year, you know, they were not very good at at uh, stopping the run. They were better at the pass. But I mean, I think you know, as Rick Venturi always says, he says you look at how they can beat you, not if they're going to beat you. But you know, if, if everything goes their way on a particular Sunday, which this league's all about, right? Any given Sunday, here's how they can beat you. And they're good enough to do that because they got playmakers on that side of the ball, I think, in all three levels of their defense.
1: Matt, I've always felt like sometimes road trips can be good for teams because it's just kind of, it can, you get kind of a me, us against the world mentality when you go on the road, so to speak, if that makes sense. And I'm curious, when you have noticed when the Colts go on the road, how much free time – like, do, do guys kind of stick to – you know, oftentimes guys have family in, in the respective areas where they're going or whatever it might be. But do you find that guys do, in fact, kind of hang around and and learn about one another and, and bond, yeah. to use that term?
6: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, they don't have a ton of free time. Because, I mean, you think about it. You, you're playing on Sunday at, at 1 o'clock in Houston. or and they'll fly in when? Yeah, they'll fly in. They'll They'll get to the team hotel – probably like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock on Saturday night. And so you, you check into your hotel, you kind of get settled a little bit, maybe like an hour or two later, you've got a team meal, you've got a team, uh, team meeting, then you'll do some position meetings. I mean, there's been, there's been times in the past where they actually even like do a walk through like in a banquet hall, uh, like a big banquet room at a team hotel, just to have one more sort of like mental refresher before the game. Um, and then it's pretty much lights out by like 11, I think at the absolute latest. Um, but, you know, guys will get creative on, you know, finding pockets of time to, to go out to dinner, like with their agents or, you know, family that's in town or, you know, if your mom and dad are in town. So, um, but, but if you don't have that going on to your point, though, guys typically kind of glue together. You know, they, they stick around with one another and hang out in, in each other's hotel rooms or they'll end up going to dinner if if, if if you know whatever is going on with the team dinner is not you know appetizing to them in terms of the menu you know they might walk down the street and grab a bite to eat so yeah for the most part it's pretty much a a business trip it's laid back but it, it's very much business oriented um, and guys know that as soon as they land um, it's all about the process of getting ready for the game on Sunday and getting ready for kickoff it at noon central time in, in Houston.
2: Matt, is there an area on this roster that I know you're probably never like negative or worried about it, but maybe an area where you're like, ah, I don't know how this is going to go that inspired confidence in you more so than was there to start the season after week one.
6: Well, I mean, just the running game, just the running game in general. I mean, I, I thought, I thought the running game would certainly not be as you know fruitful with Jonathan Taylor out there. But I didn't think it was going to produce, you know, 60-whatever yards and two-thirds of it come from from your quarterback and Anthony Richardson. Um, so, again, I just think you've got to run the ball better. The offensive line's got to be better. Um, but just the running game as a whole has to be more impactful to get teams, to force teams out of playing a cover-two shell that that takes away the deep ball. I mean, that was sort of like – the Matt Eberflew special we saw on Sunday and the Colts just couldn't generate big plays down the field. And it started with not being able to run the ball against that front to take them out of it. Um, I was actually really encouraged by the secondary. That's why I think it, 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 this year feels different in fourth quarter defense and red zone defense because the secondary actually played better than I thought with guys having, you know, bigger roles in Dallas flowers and Daryl Baker jr. You know, the one touchdown in the red zone where Lawrence is just, like, spinning out of trouble and it's like backyard football and he throws across his body. Like, that's a tip-of-the-cap type of play. But that play really was allowed because the pass rush let down, not because the back end did anything. I mean, it's hard to cover elite receivers for seven, eight seconds like they had to on that play. And then the other one, the Zay Jones catch down the right sideline in the end zone, again, tip your cap. Like, that was... That was a hellacious catch by a great player. But I think, for the most part, Baker and Flowers, they held up pretty well, and I'm very encouraged by what I saw in their first kind of real uh, test of being the guys on the outside at cornerback in this defense.
1: Matt Taylor again, voice of the Colts. You can hear that game, the Colts and Texans, coming up pregame, 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday right here on The Fan. Then, uh, of course, kickoff at 1 o'clock. Down in Houston. Matt, appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy Houston and travel safely, all right? All right. Appreciate you guys. Talk to you next right. week. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. Interesting uh, when he was talking about guys on the road, Jimmy, one of the most bizarre and surreal moments of my professional career. Um, I covered the Rams when I was in St. Louis. My first real job in media, or first big job, I guess you'd say, was I was <clears> – <throat> with Fox Sports Midwest in St. Louis, and I covered the Rams when they were the greatest show on turf. And the Rams had a game against the New Orleans Saints that was – it was either Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. And so the Rams reached out to the the media that traveled with them because it was really hard to get flights out of New Orleans because it was the holidays. So they said, hey, if you are covering this game, you can travel. We, We will put you on our flight, let you fly on our flight, and travel with the team stay in the team hotel and, and so that you can get home for the holidays, which I was very appreciative of. Um, so I was able to do that, and we stayed at the – so I was staying in the team hotel. I mean, it's not like you're around the team. Like, the, the, the plane is broken into sections, so we're sitting in the back section. The players are, like, way up in the front. It's a huge plane. But we, we get on the buses that go to the team hotel, so I get everything checked in, just like Matt was talking about, and I go down to the lobby, and it was it – was, Matter of fact, I'm certain it was Christmas Eve when we got down there. And so in the game, I think it was either Christmas morning. Anyway, we were right near the French Quarter and every restaurant had been rented out for holiday parties, basically, like nothing was open. So I go down the lobby and I'm like, hey, is there somewhere to get something to eat? And they say, well, yeah, actually, like basically everything's closed. And I said, and they go, but there's a there's a little like convenience store Three blocks away, whatever. I go, okay, I'll go there. Just as I said that, I turn around and Kurt Warner walks up and Kurt Warner says to the concierge, Hey, is there somewhere around here to get like a candy bar or snacks or something? And they say, Yeah, unfortunately, our little thing is closed. Um, there's a convenience store. And I said, Well, actually, and I didn't know Kurt Warner well. I mean, I cut, co- but I said, Well, I'm there's a convenience store or something down here and I, I'm going to go. Do you want me to bring you back like a candy bar? And Kurt Warner goes, ah, You know what? I mean, what else do I have to do? I'll go with you. I go, Okay. So we're walking through, like, the off of the the French Quarter. We're on this quest to find, like, a Village Pantry-esque store in New Orleans with a map that the guy had given us. This is pre-cell phone days, whatever. And I'm walking through the French Quarter, and you could see, like, groups of people that were, like, going to dinners or whatever that are getting out of their car. And this was literally... Like, seven months removed from him being the Super Bowl MVP and throwing for the the highest yardage (laughs) total in a Super Bowl history. And, and like, no one realized who it was. Not a clue. Not a person said anything to him. It was pretty cool, though. It it was uh, pretty fun stuff. All right, road trip fires back up. We're going to go down to Houston. We're going to talk to the voice of the Texans next. As I mentioned earlier, the Thursday road trip down to Houston, we, we had a bit of a snafu. We got down around Evansville and we blew out a tire, but we called AAA. We're back on the road. We're good to go. So as a result of that, we're able to hook up with our next guest down in Texas. Jimmy Cook, let me ask you this question. Do you know what Boston University, Central Michigan, the UMass Minutemen, and the Miami Hurricanes all have in common?
2: They all were stops along the way for one Mark Vandermeer. That
1: is correct. His road trip of career has taken him to all those places before now becoming the voice of the Houston Texans and the vice president of broadcasting for the franchise. He joins us now on the hotline. Mark, first off, good to talk to you. How are you?
0: (laughs) great guys i'm doing great looking forward to this one this is a nice one between these two with rookie quarterbacks and everything
1: that's obviously going to be the storyline right so let's begin with this cj stroud um if you are the indianapolis colts and you're looking at it and you're assessing film of cj stroud the thing that he does really well at this point in his career and the thing the thing where he is vulnerable would be what two answers Well, I
0: think with any rookie quarterback, what you want to do is overwhelm the line of scrimmage, You know, whether it's blitzing or if you can get pressure with four or however you do it. But you want to make sure you get pressure because uh, that's all young quarterbacks. They have difficulty dealing with pressure. But I think with Stroud, what he does, he's a pure passer, guys. He can throw the football. And I've seen him put touch on the ball in some difficult places. The ball placement is very good. So I think they have to be aware of that. And with the Texans, their whole thing is can you run the football? Because they didn't do it in the opener, and we all thought they would not feast on the Ravens, but at least do a little bit better than they did on the ground. That's the big mystery here. I mean, Strad put up some reasonable numbers for a rookie debut you got to be able to run the ball because he's not like anthony richardson he's not going to generate his own ground game he will run from time to time but he's not going to do it a ton so that's my assessment so far so
1: that that kind of took my second question there mark is does houston do anything schematically to orchestrate runs for stroud or are his legs only used when he's got to obviously escape the pocket
0: I would bet that with the bootlegs that you see a lot in this Shanahan-Kubiak kind of system, you're going to get some obvious run options for him. Uh, And who knows, maybe as time goes on, they develop some runs for him. But he's not that quarterback. He's a passer, and he's a good one. And so they'd be crazy not to take advantage of all that has to offer. But as you guys know, in this type of offense you got to ha- at least have the threat of a ground game in order to get the passing game clicking the way they want. Why is Brock Purdy successful? The threat of the run, the bootlegs, the mini boots, all those things they do off the run plays, which look a lot like the pass plays. So until you're able to generate a ground game or until the opponent is concerned with it at the very least, you're not going to be able to throw it as well as you want.
2: Voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer, our Thursday Road Trip feature guest here on Query and Company. Mark, for me as a football fan, and I know Texans fans feel the same way, there's been long anticipation for the debut of John Mechie. He has his battle with cancer last year. and He's getting close to a return that has the hamstring issue and didn't make his debut last week. But the hope is... Maybe this week, maybe the next couple weeks, he's going to be out there. Where's his timeline right now? And is there a chance that the Colts have to deal with him on Sunday?
0: Well, he was practicing yesterday. I missed the individual portion today. I was doing an interview, so but I would assume he was out there. I hope he was still out there. Look, I want to see it sooner rather than later. Of course, we all want to see it. He's a terrific kid, terrific athlete. You know, I've got a son who was a senior in high school. Automatically, Mechie became his favorite player when he was drafted. Got a Mechie jersey. I mean, Mechie's got this sort of contagious, infectious personality, and everybody loves him. Everybody wants to see what he can do out there. Nobody knows how it's going to look, and the coaches, Nick Casario, D'Amico Ryans, they've all been very, uh, very careful about how to assess what Mechie is going to be what he is right now Uh, the, the party line seems to be he has not played a lot of football lately it's been a long time he's been through a lot which is all true so I think you've got to give him some time here be even more patient as hard as that is in this league and in this world. Mark I'm looking at your Twitter
1: avatar you look like a senior in high school
0: Oh, that's very nice of you. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> impressive.
1: You said you had a senior. I'm like, wow. Okay, you know, impressive. That makes me want to move to
0: Indianapolis. <laughs> nice.
1: Hey, um, you know, the, the Texans and Colts are in obviously Mark similar situations, right? Where they're anytime that you have a rookie quarterback, you obviously are are starting the renovation and the rebuild. They don't like to use the word rebuild, but let's be real here. Um, in terms of the Texans the strong suit so far for the franchise in terms of the the room where they have the most depth is where?
0: Well, I think that defensively they could be pretty good. You know, right now Petrie is coming off the injury against the Ravens. They're already without Jimmy Ward losing those two safeties temporarily is a tough blow for them, but they still have a little bit of depth back there. Eric Murray and MJ Stewart played pretty well for them. Look, I think on that side of the football, when you look at Ward, now we look at uh, an injury here to Ridgeway, so that's too bad, but you look at some of the names they have, some of the veterans they have, and Denzel Perriman among them, then you look at some of the rookies and or younger players, they've got a lot of talent on that side of the ball. I'm not saying they could be you know, the Ravens of two 2000 or the 85 Bears kind of thing, but they can be pretty good, but we always say this about defense, don't we? Your offense has to fill their side of the ledger. You know, if if they fill up their cup with some running game and, you know, hold the ball a little bit, that makes your defense look that much better. You can't go out on the field after have to be able to have some sustained offense in order to make the defense look better but mark
1: in addition to that defensively will anderson's a player isn't he i mean this guy like it doesn't even seem like there's been an acclimation period for him i mean this guy came out of the womb in the nfl and seems like a heck of a player for the texans
0: you know it's funny because we've had jj watt here and mario williams and jadevion Clowney. i mean these are all highly regarded defensive players edge guys And Will Anderson, you know, we didn't know what to expect. And you got to be patient because all three of the other guys I just mentioned, it took them a minute to really get going here. And then they got going. Clowney, not as much of a pass rusher per se as Watt and Mario Williams, who did put up big numbers for a long stretch in this league. Uh, But with Will Anderson, in practice, he was destroying people almost automatically. There was one time in camp where... They sat him for a day. It was kind of a veteran rest day for a rookie. And then the offense all of a sudden sudden started to look a lot better. And I'm thinking, man, he's been destroying that backfield. So I'm looking forward to seeing him continue to mature, develop, because already made some plays against Baltimore. And I think when he gets better matchups on opposing O-lines, it's going to look that much better for him.
1: I don't know how much you've had a chance, Mark. Mark Vandermeer, excuse me, who is the voice of the Texans, joins us here. I don't know how much you've had a chance to really assess and deep dive Indianapolis, but when you talk to the Texans the coaches there what do you think the perception outside market is of the Colts where they are and and what might be intriguing if anything about them
0: yeah, it's funny because a year ago, or let's say a little more than a year ago, we were talking about can this team make a deep run in the playoffs if not get to the Super Bowl with Matt Ryan? And now look at them, right? And look, I know a lot goes into that. Uh, we've seen it happen with the Texans. We've seen 2012 going 12 and 4 and then going 2 and 14 the next year. These things happen in this league, and it doesn't mean you don't have talent because I think there's plenty of talent on the roster, and we see that talent. But. There are some holes on the roster, and that's admitted by you guys and by everybody involved with the Colts, I'm sure, and maybe those things can be taken advantage of by some opponents. I don't know if the Texans are in that position just yet, but I think they match up reasonably well. Even with Ryan opening day last year, they played to the tie. Texans got off to the big league. Colts tied it up. We all know how it went. And then the final game of the season was just bizarro world. I'll tell you this, guys. uh, The Colts are forever the white whale of the Houston Texans. It's 10-32-1, the all-time series on the Texans' side of things. And the fact that they got the double-digit wins for the first time ever in the regular season finale last year, and people complained about it, is just bizarre. It shows you how bizarre this series has been. Like, I am well-known in this market for my angst, anxiety, my pain involving the Indianapolis Colts. And I'm just glad that we finally have a coach here who understands that pain because he played against this team. He played against the Horseshoe at the RCA Dome, which I say is the loudest building I've ever heard, Now stand on a stack of playbooks and swear that. And he knows how big this series is.
1: You know, Mark, there are people in Pittsburgh that would tell you that they pumped in artificial noise at the RCA Dome and that that's yeah, part I'm of the a- reason it was so loud. I think it was just because it was small and the noise had nowhere to go.
0: It was a band box. It was like a basketball arena where you played football. <laughs> and you know, Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis, it always felt like they got a one-second jump on the snap count. And Manning, the weird thing about that era is, and I'm sure it still happens in Indy, and I, I've seen it happen, but it's kind of dwindled a little bit, was how well-trained Peyton Manning had that crowd. I mean, it was louder than anything on defense then on offense it was like golf quiet space, right. right it was amazing how well behaved that crowd was and well trained they were
1: well mark for what it's worth i mean around the time that the you know, when it was still the Oilers in Houston, but when the Colts first got here, it, it took a while because the first year they had to do a story on the local news telling people not to do the wave during the offense, <laughs> like the like, like Arch Sleeters out there with Mike Pagel, and they can't you know they're trying to get plays run in, and they can't hear anything because the crowd's doing the wave. We 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 it,
0: we were a slow process, Mark, in learning how to handle it. Right, it took a while. Yeah, um, yeah, it's fine. I like going to Indy and seeing the Ring of Honor because. You know, I'm still curious about Jim Harbaugh being on there, but I will say this Bill Brooks, Boston University alumnus, I am all over that. That's awesome.
1: Bill Brooks, here's the thing, man. Bill Brooks was just for the move he had against Denver and a 55-23 win on Monday Night Football on Halloween night. That alone right there puts him in because he was a really good player on really bad teams and I think they kind of, you know, give him it, and a good dude, right? He's a good guy. Um, yeah. which is why he's there. Hey Mark, I'm curious your thought on this before we let you go and I appreciate the time. The the division to me is intriguing because it does appear as though Jacksonville is you know, on the rise. I think we know that they've. This is the year they probably arrive and and take another step. But I'm curious by Tennessee, and I want your thoughts on it because I think you're probably like fans are in Indianapolis of looking at Tennessee and thinking, are they step? Are, you know is Tennessee regressing now? And are they now a year away from having to go where Houston and Indianapolis are of just completely resetting the deck? Or do you think they still have some juice left in it? Where do you see the Titans?
0: You know, some people think they've already made that decision, but they're not fully committed to it. With Ryan Tannehill, look, last week was freaky. They did play defense well enough to stay in the game against uh, who knows what the Saints really are, but against that team on the road, we all know it's tough to play in that building. And they hung in there well. On the defensive side. But, you know, I didn't like what I didn't see out of Henry if I'm a Titans fan, and I'm clearly not. I mean, for me, on the power ranking hate meter in the AFC South, and it's all healthy sports hate, by the way, it's Colts, Titans, Jags. <laughs> and I don't want to see them successful, but I think with Henry, it, he still has a lot left, but they need more than that. You know, and I love DeAndre Hopkins for his time here, but, you know, what are they really getting right now with that offensive configuration and and the doubts they have at quarterback? You don't draft quarterback that high two years in a row if you're fully committed to Ryan Tannehill. We all know that. I think Tannehill still has some game, but does he have enough to help them win? And with everything that went wrong last year with that seven-game losing streak, you know, there they were with the seventh loss, but in that game, they were, uh, you know, if they don't fumble the ball, they might even beat the Jags and still win the division. It's a world in this division. I want one of those years where it's like 2015, 2016, where somebody wins it with nine victories. I want one of those crazy, wacko AFC South seasons and see if the Texans can get into the mix late.
2: Mark, I realize that the big event is one o'clock Colts Texans and that you've had a very busy day today, but I also understand and I'm sorry it took us this long to reference it that you have something else big on your plate coming up here in about 15 minutes. If I understand this right, a cook off <laughs> between you and the Texans mascot Toro, which you were defeated last year and are looking for redemption.
1: I'm a fan of Toro.
0: I like Toro. Yeah, well, and Toro likes blue. I think they get along. You know, that's a mutual admiration society. But I got to tell you, Toro's going down. I cannot tolerate this from a person without opposable thumbs that they're going to (laughs) beat me in a cook-off. This is unacceptable, and I want Toro's hide in this one. But you know what? It's a no-win for me. If I win, people hate me because it's Toro. And if I lose, well, you know, I lose. So it's no good either way, but it's fun. Look, you it's a cook-off right yeah we're making tacos and some other stuff i don't know you go right across the street from a team of people when you walk out of
1: nrg stadium you can either go to the right and go to the astrodome or you can go to the left and across the street there's like the world's largest grocery store called fiesta if i'm not mistaken go over there get yourself some good stuff and beat
0: toro right well, this is another grocery store called HEB that's sponsoring this, so they would frown on that. Oh, but sorry. HEB is awesome. It's Texans understand. They get misty-eyed uh, talking about HEB. Well, like when they move out of state, they get emotional about it. It's very cool. Okay, well, that's cool. So there you go. See, so it, as long as they're hooking you up, then I, I, I have
1: confidence. But I do like Toro. I like any mascot that's in the program. You know what I mean.
0: You know, it's a good thing I didn't go on a, off on an Astrodome tangent because we would have been here another 10 minutes for sure. <laughs>
1: well, you know, Mark, just so you know, uh, a couple of years ago when IndyCar was racing in Houston, I actually found, and this was when it was like still closed and condemned, I know they keep trying to repurpose it, but I found a, a door ajar and found my way into the Astrodome and walked around and spent like an hour and a half by myself in there, and it was one of the greatest days of my life, just so you know.
0: And you breathed a lot of asbestos, I know. and I hope you're okay, uh, because that <laughs> yeah, does exist there. there. There
1: probably is a reason it was condemned, right? I had to actually yeah, climb through an reasons. air duct to get in there, so that probably was not good either.
0: There are many re- And I know the building has so many special memories, but the fact is that the Astros and the Titans left it there, and you know they look at the Texans like, what are you going to do with it? Well, wait, we didn't leave this here. you know. <laughs> they left this here. And it hasn't been used for anything for over 20 years, other than the evacuees in Hurricane Katrina, which thank goodness it was there for that in 05. But really, it's been that long. I mean, it just sits there. It's weird. Okay, give me the name of the grocery store one more time because I've
1: got to hit it in Houston because now I feel bad.
0: HEB. Don't feel bad. It's okay. It's a, it, you know, it's a Houston sponsor.
1: HEB. All right, there we go. If you're in yeah. Houston, you got to stop by HEB and you can actually see all of the groceries that uh, that Toro used for his victory today. But we wish you the best of luck in it.
0: <laughs> Mark will let uh, guys, you get well cooking. Done. I appreciate it. It's always great to catch up, and I'm looking forward to another chapter in the history of this. I can't call it a true rivalry because the Colts have the major advantage in the series, but it's a series, and it's a really good one filled with drama. So I'm hoping for another big day on Sunday. It's going to be fun. All
1: right. Appreciate it, Mark. Enjoy it on Sunday. Thanks, boys. All right. Again, uh, Mark Vandermeer, he is the voice of the Houston Texans as part of our Thursday road trip. I still have people that ask me about my, my day in the Astrodome. I brought back a ton of AstroTurf. I walked out of the stadium. I had to go through the the entrance. There was only one way out because I had a bag full of so much AstroTurf that I couldn't go back through the air duct that I had to climb to get into the Astrodome. And when I walked out, there was a state trooper and a 10-gallon hat, and he was standing there with his back to the Astrodome. And I came out of the, the door, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and I thought, well, and he said, do you want to explain to me where you're coming from? And I said, uh, the Astrodome. And I was covered in soot and dirt, and I had AstroTurf spitting out of bags. And he said, do you want to explain to me why you were in the Astrodome? And I said, I'm not going to lie to you. Officer, I'm not going to lie to you. I-, I found an open door. I wanted to go in there. I watched Evil Knievel as a kid. I watched the Bad News Bears. I watched Earl Campbell. It's a, a special place in part of my childhood, even though I'm not from here. And I just wanted to see it because it just it- it- the building means that much to me and my upbringing. And he looked right at me and said, Man, that's pretty awesome. Take it easy. And I walked away.
2: Have you or someone you love received gifts from the Astrodome from Jake Query?
1: I still have some turf at home. I'm not going to lie to you. My entire kitchen, for that matter. A lot of fun today. So much that we went a little bit over. Kevin Bowen joins us tomorrow. Thanks for listening. And if you're in the company, come up and say hi. John's up next. Big one lined up. More talk on Colts and Texans. Have a good one.